0: Carter from the gun.
1: Don, you know that all of our longtime listeners, the six, seven, eight of them, however many there are, right yeah, have clicked onto this podcast today because they can't wait to hear Steve bitch about the Saints. And they assume that when the state of love and trust fades out, <laughs> Steve's anger will fade in. But I'm not going to go that route yet. Not just yet. Instead, I'm going to choose to start the show gushing about Jack Eichel. Yeah. Oh. Now, there was a little bit of disappointment here. A real, just a small disappointment here. A few months back when they had the rookie development camp and they had a scrimmage, and clearly Jack Eichel looked gassed to death in that scrimmage.
2: That, and if you were... You'd have to really know the roster pretty deep, but it was Jack Eichel and nobody else on that team. Reinhardt.
1: On his team, right. On his team, yeah. Yeah, so we're so far past that it's amazing. Dude... First of all, they had the uh the tournament, right, with the few other teams prospects. Right, yeah, yeah. There's a few of these around the way and Jack Eichel won that tournament with a goal in overtime against Boston. And it's like, wow, this is cool. Jack Eichel scoring a big goal against our rival in overtime to win a tournament. Well, uh, let's do that for years and years to come. <laughs> right. And then last night Jack Eichel made his debut in a game as a that's pro. sponsored by the league, right? Right, yeah. Um it's a preseason game, so it doesn't count. Uh, but last night, Jack Eichel scored a goal, the game-winning goal, on a shorthanded breakaway mm-hmm. and set up the game-tying goal. And all I'll say is it made me freaking pumped. So I wanted to start with that. Jack yeah. Eichel hype has me pumped.
2: <laughs> and his assist on the first goal, I've watched that over and over again. It's still hard to tell like where when he passes. Like It's such a quick... On the money pad. Like, Matt Molson probably made a lot of money playing next to John Tavares. And, and now he can make that money. Yeah, playing next to Eichel. And
1: Eichel's living with Molson.
2: Yeah, I heard. that's really cool, too. Yeah,
1: and, and which is something that Molson and his family did with Tavares. Oh, okay. Uh, Tavares lived with uh, Molson and his family uh, his first year on Long Island. He, he knows who uh,
2: butters his bread there. Right. And,
1: it, you know, I, uh, Molson was a very disappointing player last year, right? Yeah, but who wasn't? Uh, I but guess. who wasn't, right? And right. uh, actually, in the end, it was uh, the opposite of disappointing that he was disappointing. Right, right yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I think what was missing was a top end center to get that around the net scoring winger the puck. And, uh, sure. Jack Eichel is certain that. So I wanted to start with that. And now we will start the show. Okay. It is season five, episode 30, September 23rd, 2015. Richard Deitch. ...is on the show today, Don. Oh, sweet. 50 Minutes with Richard Deitch. Wow. Yes. We will get to that soon. We will get out of the way as quick as we can so we can get to Richard Deitch. Also on the show, one of the greatest guests in the history of the sportscasters, S.L. Price. Okay. Often when you and I talk about what was the best interview, single interview, we will go back to the S.L. Price appearance where we got off on the uh, the Twitter uh, talk... Uh, From 2012, (laughs) I think it was. Um, Assel's on Twitter now, and he's uh, with us uh, as well. So great guest today. Also, the return of an old friend. Uh, Five on Fantasy uh, today. Okay. No book club. Five on Fantasy. And then we will end with one last thing. So plenty of good to get to, so let's do three things. Let's play a game. All -hmm. right. Count of three. One. All righty. I'll take it off. The oil patterns on a PBA lane are very, very difficult. I might be able to beat Jamarcus Russell at quarterback.
0: (laughs) This is the funnest night ever. (laughs) Did we just become best friends? Yep.
1: Now let's move on to other business. The NFL, Don, is a cruel, vicious, and dangerous league, and no one knows that better than Tony Romo, Jay Cutler, and Drew Brees. Ugh. Uh, Romo uh, broke his collarbone. We can start there. And that means the Cowboys have played two games. Uh, They won both of them. But in the process, they probably lost their two most important players. Yeah, I would think so. And it appears that Romo will go on IR designated to return. Mm -hmm. He'll miss about eight games. The nice thing about his injury is after about two weeks... He'll be able to pretty much do anything he wants other than get hit. Right. So when yeah, this it non throwing shoulder. When too. it's time for him to start playing, he'll, he'll be ready. He'll just get in and play. Yep. Uh, so if that bone takes eight weeks to heal, the day after that he's ready to go. Mm-hmm. Uh Des Bryant, and there was more on that this week. Uh there was a bone graph and there's reports of what, ten to twelve weeks, but then he got he on Twitter out. and he kinda L O L'd it. Right. Uh, and, um, I don't know. It be it, It's going to be interesting to see how Brandon Whedon and Terrence Williams, among others, Cole Beasley and whoever else, uh, can hold the fort down for the Cowboys, who are certainly a team who entered the season with Super Bowl aspirations.
2: You know what? I don't want to sound like old school football guy because I am most decidedly not old school. Um... But if any team can lose their best two offensive weapons, it might be that team in that division. Ground and pound. Get behind they that have line. so good, yeah. that offensive line is so good, even when everybody knows they're gonna run. And Jason Witten looks really good this year. So, and that's kind of a inex- inexperienced quarterback's best friend is the tight end. So, I I just don't know that it's gonna matter in that division. I mean, maybe they don't win it. 13-3 or something now. Maybe they have to win it at 11-5, and five, but I'm not sure it's going to matter. Well, it's
1: a division in only two weeks where the Redskins have emerged from a team who might be one of the worst to suddenly has emerged as a potential contender in the division. Sure. And yeah. and they've done it based on how they've played on the field. Right. They've had a couple of good games, and you could debate their opponent and all those things. But they're a team who's doing it traditionally and smartly, right? They're saying, look, at we're limited – at the quarterback position, potentially.
2: They're playing good defense. So we're
1: going to play good defense, and we're going to run the yep. ball and run it again. Uh, when we're talking about fantasy football later, and Matt Jones had his breakout day, but he didn't do it at the expense of Alfred Morris, necessarily. No,
2: they had like 40 total they carries. They had 40
1: rushes. So yeah. uh, maybe the uh, Cowboys will dip into the uh, Redskins playbook. Now, Jay Cutler and the Bears are interesting because they haven't won either of their games
2: no and this is not your i think people think like the pittsburgh's this would be a weird year for someone to step into a time machine like from 1980 something to come here and see like the bears and the steelers that those two teams are kind of terrible on defense but the steelers are doing it with some flash and some class chicago doesn't have that Yeah, yeah so they're in a lot of trouble that that that's going to be one of the worst teams in the league, I think.
1: Yeah, with Cutler, it's some kind of um, hamstring injury. Jeffrey can't get on the field still. Yeah, he's also. They're hurt. they're in a lot of trouble. Speaking of in a lot of trouble, the Saints. Uh, Drew Brees. It was a it was an up and down day yesterday. Now I will say this: as soon as Drew Brees got hit in the second quarter, uh-huh. I said, "Oh fuck, Drew Brees is hurt." I saw the hit. I saw his reaction to it. And I also remembered hearing that the worst place a quarterback can get hit is under the throwing shoulder while he's throwing. And that's where the sack came. The guy came from underneath and hit him in the shoulder while he was throwing. Uh-huh. And Breeze was noticeably injured on the play. Right. He stayed down for a minute. He started sort of flexing his arms, then stretching his arms trying to sort of shake it off. Um, and then a couple other indications to me. One, they call a play-action pass, and I see Brandon Cooks jet by the guy going down the field, and I think, okay, boom, touchdown, Cooks right mm-hmm. here, right? And then the next thing I'm saying is throw it because it's not coming out, and then it comes out, and it's a duck, and it's underthrown, and it's intercepted. And I said, oh, damn, he's hurt. right? Because i seen Drew Brees throw deep balls during the season, or preseason. Um, and uh, I know that that ball is still there for him. Uh, and then later, when they got the ball for the last time to attempt to tie, he got sacked again, and he used the last timeout. and uh, He probably didn't need to. The reason he used the timeout is because he just got whacked, and he needed a second. Right. Uh, but look at, I knew Sunday that he was hurt, and I knew that Monday – There might be something more about it. Now, he came to the podium, and I watch it every week. I watch his press conference every Sunday. And he was really down, Mm -hmm. really quiet. His opening statement was, uh, go ahead, something like that. right? Um, And right away, reports were torn. Rocator Coffee's out for the year. Uh, It's sports radio people in New Orleans. People with 300 followers are tweeting me saying they have multiple sources. (laughs) This guy with 300 followers tweeted me and said three people close to the team that I trust very much have told me Drew Brees is a torn rotator cuff and is going on IR. I ended up blocking him. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but uh, then Ian Rappaport, who is someone with a little bit more credibility, uh-huh. uh, went on to say that he might miss several games. Uh, and then almost seconds later, it seemed like, Schefter came in and said uh, it's not a tear, it's a bruise, and uh, he could even play this week. They went and got Dr. James Andrews, uh, whose name is often one you never want to hear, Right. but San Diego was the one who never wanted to hear that name for Breeze. Now it's like, well, that's his guy. Anything's going to happen. That guy's going to look. And he looked and confirmed the bruise. Uh, I tried to listen to Stefania Bell on the fantasy podcast to get a better understanding of what that meant, and I guess it means that there's some bleeding by the rotator cuff, and uh, yeah, it's totally a... How does day-to-day, it respond to week treatment to week. day-to-day, week-to-week? Right. He maybe misses none. He maybe misses one. I'd be surprised if he missed two. Uh, but that brings me to the last thing I wanted to talk about in this segment, and that is uh, both of our teams played big games for their seasons mm-hmm. on Sunday, and neither of them were very successful in those games. Right. Now, they played very different opponents, right? My team played a team that has no business ever coming to my stadium and beating my team, which is why, in many power rankings, they're around 30 right now, and they deserve that. Uh, The Bills, on the other hand, who I want to transition to a little bit, this is my perspective on it, and now I'm going to give you a chance to go. My perspective is, look at The two teams that were your conference championship game last year started in your stadium this year. Right. You split them. The second one didn't go the way you wanted and there's a lot of fans really upset because they, in their minds, and the team even admitted to maybe being guilty of this as well,
2: a Little too angry.
1: hyped the game a little bit more yep. than what the game actually was. Yep. So in the aftermath of it, my opinion would be you split with the two teams who won the conference championship game. You can't ask for much more than that. You got a quarterback who looks a lot better than anything you had at that position for quite a while. Yep. Move on. Where are you? Where do you stand? Today? Yeah,
2: I, I'm in the same boat. Um, that's the second toughest game they're going to play all year. The toughest being New England in and New, New England. Wood, yeah, uh, not that they're going to go 14 and two or anything like that. Um, I'm glad they kind of clawed back the way they did. You think that means something? A little bit, because I, a lot of people will say that that was all garbage time. And sure, there is some probably some psychological thing where you just let down a little bit. But the Patriots are not a team to let team come back in garbage time which
1: kind of helps you a little bit because i mean they're still like throwing. irresponsibly throwing yeah sure like that. right no Brady i think you're right late. there was a little bit of guts there i don't i still look at it like the patriots they got, blew them they out. got yeah. blown out
2: yeah um but there you're right there is guts to it yeah. yeah they didn't roll they didn't look like the same old they showed bills. a little bit of balls at the end um i didn't like the offensive play calling early on i thought Tyrod throws a very nice deep ball, and you've got guys that are talented. Let him throw the deep ball. They were, New England essentially sat back and said, "Okay, go ahead. You know, we're not going to let you beat us with your legs. We're not going to let us beat you beat us with anything short." And they just didn't take any chances. Then they finally did, and it opened up the offense a little bit. Whatever, it's one game. They're one and one. You asked me if I would take. What did you ask me? One and two or Would something Would you take like that? one and two? Um, maybe not now because the Miami doesn't right. seem maybe as they've good as They've got a thought. real good look at two and one. Right. And like you said, they beat, beat one of the conference champions. So I'll, I'll take it. Uh, hopefully Rob Ryan can adjust. Tom Brady, and maybe you can think of an NFC guy that's the same way. Tom Brady is the most annoying quarterback to play against if you are a fan of another team or I imagine if you're on the defense. He gets the ball out so fast. Even, you can have that defensive line and never touch him.
1: He's almost like Steve Young was, but for different reasons, because Steve Young just got the hell out of Dodge. Right, yeah. When he got anywhere near him, he got away from you.
2: Brady does these real subtle things. I'm sure Breeze is good at it, too. Brady's an that...
1: all-time great. Yeah, and absolutely. The bottom line is, is the Bills, this Bills team was not ready to beat that Patriots team, especially when the whole week was about, Finally, we're the team that can beat that team. Sure. That was the attitude around town. They got
2: to not take so many 15 yard penalties. Five of them in the game. You're I think, never right? going to beat that team. The one thing I will say, and their game wasn't poorly officiated, I wouldn't suggest many that. Many penalties. So and that's league wide. Many penalties. That
1: was league wide this weekend. Wh- Amazing what amount of penalties Did the officials I don't know. just want to be on TV? Like, I don't know if I it's the need... point of emphasis this year. You know how every year there's a few things the league says are a point of emphasis? I don't know if maybe just those things are things that happen more in the games. So now as players adjust that there's just naturally going to be more penalties. I don't know what it is, but it's every game I watched Flag Fest.
2: Yeah, the only, the only penalty I didn't like. And Jeremy Saints had 10 penalties against them. It's nuts. Like yeah, And so did the Bucs. That game was 10-10. The Bills had like 25 total in that game between them and the Patriots. It's just yeah. too many. But uh, the only penalty I didn't like, and Jeremy White, a uh, local radio guy, had a funny tweet about it, was when uh, one of the Bills was chirping Scott Chandler. And now the Bills player was maybe a little bit more animated about it, but the ref came from behind and threw a penalty for taunting. And Jeremy White's tweet is something like, there's two guys yelling at each other in a game and we just don't know what they're saying. You have though. no That's idea. That's the thing. Well, he maybe does. he did. Maybe he does. He That's the difference. Right. He's standing right there. But he just. That said, is annoying. Like, it's, it looks annoying. He says, good yeah. call, nerd. Yeah. And I thought that was pretty funny. But yeah, other than that, the game was officiated fine. It was a totally fan. Uh, there was one bad call. I mean, there's bad calls in every game, there's just too many calls, I think. Uh uh, what's his name? Watkins got called for a push off. That was that was terrible. I that, saw that. It was the guy just slipped and fell. Yeah, that was terrible. But uh, I'm not gonna complain about the refs. That they had nothing to do with the game. But just way too many calls in general.
1: Yeah, and uh, look, it. People are gonna want to know what I think about the Saints. I'll say two quick things about them because we're just if they're gonna be the thirtieth team on power rankings. We're not gonna spend that much time talking about them. Um, but I will say two things. One, I'm always gonna. I'm, I promise you, I will be the last one off of the Drew Brees bandwagon. Yeah, that's... I'm, gonna I'm going to be the last that, yeah. guy standing on that. I owe him that. Mm-hmm. I promise everyone here that. And I'm nowhere near ready to jump off of it. He was very... He was good in the first game. Wasn't very good. Wasn't bad. He was good in the first game. Uh-huh. He played good. You know, about average Drew Brees quarterbacking. And in the second game, he got injured in the game. Right. So, I'm not ready to say he can't throw a deep anymore... He can't play that injured. He did his best. It wasn't good enough. They lost.
2: Do you think he's feeling any? I mean, it's tough to say because you only saw him one healthy game. Is he feeling any residual injury still?
1: The whole line, and look it, it's league-wide, right, during the preseason. Best shape ever. Right, but it wasn't that. It was better this year at this time than Than last last year. year. So we'll see how he comes back to this injury. And as for the team, uh, because everyone's had a lot of fun uh, writing articles like the window is closed and... Uh, Sean Payton, should, this should be his last year there, and same with Drew Brees, and on and on and on. I knew going into the season that when they switched 25 of the 53 players on the roster, mm. the beginning of the year was going to be tough. And I, it reminds me of two Saints teams. The 2000 team, which is the first team under Jim Haslett, which followed Mike Dicka in a 3-13. And, and there was probably more turnover. They started 1-3. They went ten and six, won their first ever playoff game. Okay, and it reminds me of the two thousand six team, which started three and zero after a lot of turnover and Peyton and Breeze coming in, but also had the benefit of Browns and a bad Packers team early, and then the third game uh, being at home, first time ever Katrina. Oh, uh, Okay, uh, but they rode that to be about a ten and six team. That's what this team can hope for this team that the first quarter is bad but they can get hot they can come together Uh, i don't know if they can do it or not and if you made me put money i'd I'd say no they're six and ten i didn't see
2: much of the game but what
1: they need to look at i knew going in that when you switch 25 guys and by the way jairus bird and
2: are they still not playing keenan
1: lewis are not on the field
2: i mean bird is the weird one still
1: right like nobody knows anything about bird he he's never around when the media is. He's he's in secret. It's secrecy, so I have no idea. Now the only th- he's not on IR. He's not on IR. designated return. returned. He wasn't on PUP, and they could have put him on there. So I don't know. Is the defense
2: showing any signs yes. of improvement?
1: Yes. Yeah, they're very good in the second half against uh, Tampa Bay. Very good. All right. So I but I have no idea. I think they're bad. Do I think their thirtieth bad? Nah, probably not. I wouldn't
2: assume so either,
1: but uh, I don't think that they're a team that can seriously contend if Atlanta and Carolina look as good as they have so far. Yeah, but um, I think they're better than Tampa, and I think they're better than probably a third of the league. All
2: right, play play this way out. We like to over over uh, think things. Over what is the word we used last week? Overreact. Yeah. Um, who doesn't? If they are this bad, yeah. Uh, and Breeze, it comes back healthy. Mm-hmm. Is there any way they cut, they cut bait with him? I know they said you'd be the last one off the band. Uh, of course they could because of the money he makes. I mean, is he going to retire a Houston Texan or something like yeah, that? Yeah, see, I hope not. Of course
1: they could because of the money he makes, but he also is going to make $20 million cash this year. Okay. Uh, and that $100 million contract he signed has never been touched. So I'd imagine that for the last year of it, he would take it as – bone. You know, he would be willing to – I would think that they would instead, if he comes back and he's healthy and he has a, a comparable year to the one he had last year, they won't want to move on yet. Does Peyton, But they will want to restructure. Does
2: Peyton make it through the year if that happens?
1: I think if anyone needs to fall on a sword for the way the team has been, it should be Loomis. Um, and personally, I want Peyton to be there for the transition to the new quarterback. And if the new quarterback is Garrison, uh, Grayerson, I haven't, he's not important enough for me to learn his name yet. Garrett, Garrett Grayerson or something like yeah, that. Yeah. If he's the guy, I want him to learn from Peyton and Breeze. So I want them to be there until he's ready. All right. And I want Peyton to have a shot with him.
2: I like that logic. I don't know that NFL owners are that patient. No,
1: chances are someone's going to fall on the sword. Will it be Loomis? Will it be Peyton? Will it be both?
2: I mean, it'd be easy to make it Rob Ryan. Well, he should be gone already. Well, right. I, yeah. I,
1: I don't know why he's still there.
2: All right, that's probably more time.
1: Yeah, that's enough. (laughs) Uh, Moving on, there are two weeks left in the Major League Baseball season, uh, which means almost everyone has a magic number next to their name when you look at standings now. And the highest one in any of the divisions is 12. It's the AL West, where the Texans have a one-game lead over the, the Texans. The Texas Rangers, the Rangers have a one-game lead over the uh, Astros. Uh, other oh, than, you're saying that's the tightest one. Okay. That's I... the tightest one. So their number is 12, the highest.
2: Oh, I got you.
1: Right. Where, and then the next highest is I'm the looking Blue at, Jays. I'm looking at games back. Sorry. Right. The Blue Jays have a magic number of 10. Uh, the Yankees, three and a half back. They play two more times this weekend. or, or Right now, Tuesday and Wednesday. They have oh, okay. two more games. Yeah, the so Yankees this, don't win them both. Probably do That division's over. Yep. Now – the Yankees are probably going to make the playoffs. They have a three-game lead over Houston on the right. field, pretty much with mm-hmm. two two spots available. Uh, the only question really is: is will the the Angels and Houston or both, if the Yankees fill out, make the playoffs? And um, the, the Twins are in there as well.
2: Yeah, the Angels that have a lot
1: of work to do. Right in the National League, it's all over, mm-hmm. and we've been saying it for a while. Uh, the Mets and the Dodgers and are going to play, and then there's going to be a tournament in the NL Central. You know, the Cubs and the, the, the Pirates will play that one game, and then they'll go on and play St. Louis, whoever wins. It's
2: no it's no secret that I'm not a baseball guy. Any conclusion or any uh, – have they come to any agreement on the Matt Harvey pitch count? Oh, well, you missed the side. fiasco the other day.
1: Okay. <laughs> so Sunday night, it's Yankees and Mets. Okay. The last three-game Subway Series of the year, right? The first day is a Mets day and Mets win. Second day is a Yankees day. The Yankees win. And you go to game three, Sunday night baseball, and it's Harvey versus Sabathia. Okay. Sabathia gives up a run in the first, and then Harvey just starts dealing. And he's through five. He's got seven, eight Ks. It's one, nothing, Mets. And they pulled him.
2: Has he been hit at this point? Like, any hits on him?
1: There was a hit or two. Okay, so. But I mean, dealing. (laughs) And they pull him, and by the sixth, it's five to – or by the – whatever. At the end of the sixth, it's five to one Yankees. Look, So –
2: Yeah, one nothing. It's not like it was 5 did, nothing. That did not months. go
1: over well. Uh, so that will be a fiasco. I was wrong on that podcast. I set a higher number for his um, innings? pitched innings then. Okay. Um, I think I said he was like 14 away, and it was more like 34. So that's my screw-up. I apologize to anyone who heard that and was yelling – the whole time, it's higher. Last thing, because the music ended, I wanted to share a funny story about Yarmir Yager. Did you hear this?
2: I did. This is awesome. I, you know what? I'm gonna say something real quick about Yarmir Yager. And yeah. I won't bury the lead here. Yarmir Yager was a guy. When I used to, when I was younger, my favorite player was Michael Pekka. He was just a hard hitter, uh, a guy that would tell you how much he didn't like a guy in an interview. And Yager was always one of those guys. Lindros was one of the guys he would say that about. So I hated Yager. And he, like Tom Brady, when you're watching him, you would just want players to unload on him, but he was so big, guys would bounce off. Right, whatever. too strong, too so, fast, too smooth. So, like, as, an, as a guy that didn't like him, I am I have done a 180. Yammer Yager is one of the coolest players right. in the NHL. Well, my
1: build-up to it was going to be, look, at. there's probably a lot of people out there who this is their guy.
2: Oh, yeah, right? sure. Right, you know,
1: like, Yager was their guy. He's awesome to watch, uh, whatever.
2: Penguins fans even have to yeah. appreciate it. What are you and doing, right? um, that age? has
1: only been... Increased by this story. Oh, my goodness. Story. So, Yager's 43, right? And he's currently playing for the Panthers.
2: And it would be easy to make this a sexist statement, but this girl got what
1: Yes, she deserved. So, um, he slept with an 18-year-old model from the Czech Republic. Right. Uh, and I'm reading an article on Yahoo. He's, what, 43? 43, yeah. And he slept with an... Uh, with an, an 18-year-old model. And uh, while he was sleeping after they were finished, she took a picture in the bed with him.
2: Yeah, she's giving like a peace sign. Like, yeah, she just face. thinks she's so cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: Well, she tried to extort him mm-hmm. after the fact. And uh, he <laughs> – <laughs> she wanted two grand. Well,
2: oh, I thought paid. it was like 50. In check. Oh, okay. It's
1: 50,000 check. Whatever it is. Okay. Which is 2000 US dollars.
2: Wow. That makes it even a better story because that would be chump change for him.
1: And uh, he said, I don't care. Yeah. Quote, unquote.
2: <laughs> She's like, I'm going to go to the press with this. He said, I don't care.
1: He does not care. And the irony is, is Yager is not married. Nope. Does not have a girlfriend that anyone knows of. Um, and this girl apparently had stuff to lose. She's dating – a Czech Republic prospect named Dominic Rudol, really, um, who has credited Yager with being his idol. <laughs> that I hadn't heard. Um, and uh, the the article the article I'm reading on Yahoo has all kinds of tweets, but they're in Czech. I mean, if he wa- so, I don't know what they said. He but did, what he did. She's was, taking a beating.
2: What he did was totally awesome. And if she did that, if she was U.S., I don't know if laws are different there. She could have been arrested for blackmail,
1: extortion. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
2: but the bitch. way he handled it was awesome. And I guess I saw in Puck Daddy's blog that yogering has now become a thing, where yes. like wives will <laughs> take pictures making her face next to their husbands and stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, that was the cool. I am fully on board with Yarmir Yager and he's not even a, a, like the coolest old guy in the league uh, was Temu Solani because right. he was still awesome right up until he retired pretty much now and it's he's Yager. passed that on to Yager yeah. by far the coolest old guy in the league well
1: speaking of cool old guys let's take a break and come back with Richard Deitch You know, I don't think we've ever disagreed, Richard Deitch, on anything as much as we do the quality of the play-by-play by by Kevin Burkhardt in NFL games. Is that his name? Did I say that right? (laughs) Did you die during your fight song? Is this,
3: uh, oh, you know, I forget that we don't have a traditional intro, so I would give it to myself. Yeah, you don't like that. Uh, Thank you, first of all, for the invite. It's been a long time. It has. You uh, literally, in the pre-show interview that you just gave me five minutes ago, you said you asked me if I was getting too big for the podcast, which the irony of that question is if I was, I wouldn't even be on the phone. So that in itself is ridiculous. All right, so let's now continue as we head towards the conversation here. Kevin, uh, yeah, first of all, it is pronounced Kevin Burkhardt.
1: Okay, that's what
3: I thought. Second of all, it's not like I've gone out and said Kevin Burkhardt is Vince Scully, but I think he's a quality, certainly a quality broadcaster. Uh, He was phenomenal on Mets broadcasts as their uh, field reporter, Mm -hmm. and he has morphed into a very good, very quickly play by play person. Do I think he's Al Michaels? No. Do I think he's, you know, Vince Scully or Ernie Harwell? No. Is he a quality. Number two, number three, number four type announcer for NFL games. Absolutely, no question in my mind.
1: Yeah, that's fair enough, I suppose. I mean, I just haven't. I don't know. That's I, a
3: weird guy, by the way. That is a weird guy to really uh, have an opinion, like a hard opinion on, just because he's not. He's not very polarizing, you know. I can I understand why people have issues with the top guys because they're on all the time—the Joe Bucks of the world, and you know, Tarikos and Gruden's, et cetera. But yeah, you know, Burkhardt to me so. I don't want to say he's vanilla, but he's kind of down. I feel like he's down the middle. I'm, I'm, it's more interesting to me that you have issues with him because he's not a guy you normally hear people take sides on either way.
1: I think I know why, and it's because he calls my games. I watch him a lot.
3: Calls you the know, good Bills a lot. All right, no Saints.
1: The Saints. I'm a Saints fan. Remember that?
3: Oh, he um, calls the oh, that's right. You did. I did not. So he calls the Saints a lot. Okay, he does. You
1: know, I think probably being the second or third, whatever way you look at it, guy at Fox has maybe meant that he's done quite a few Saints games in his tenure. Number He's a
3: number that that team's number two for sure. No. Okay.
1: Um which I mean seems crazy to me that it wouldn't be Kenny Albert's team, but maybe the talent around Kenny Albert isn't that great. I think I think
3: they I think they thought that well, well one, they really like the Burkhart Lynch combination. And two, I think they you know, the, the term that they used was they wanted to refresh the order of the lineup, which I think is another way of saying that they thought that the Albert, Johnston, Sir, Sir Goose, the team had gotten a little old. They didn't move Sir Goose off that team. So that does that give that broadcast a different look? I think Kenny Albert's a, I, I think Kenny Albert's a terrific broker. I think he is a better football game caller than Burkhart. Yeah, I great. think the team of Burkhart and Lynch, though, is better than the team of Albert and Johnston.
1: Yeah, I, I probably don't even disagree with that, actually. And I, I'm looking forward to seeing, I haven't, I didn't get to see much of the Seahawks. It was Seahawks and Rams, I believe, that, Albert's crew uh, called last week, and I didn't get to see much of it. I'm wondering. Good, how... good I mean,
3: good game. The call. Yeah. The broadcaster
1: just given what happened. Right. I'm wondering how that. Uh, you know how it. How it's changed with uh, Saragusa being off of it. Um, yeah. Yeah. I, did, I didn't. I didn't hear much of that game, but um, given that they use Saragusa so prominently
3: on that broadcast, the 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 chemistry, the pace, the feel of that broadcast will change dramatically if he's not on that team.
1: You know, what I think might be a really. A really young, kind of interesting star in the making is uh, Kirk Morrison. I thought he's done. The, I've heard even less of him, but I thought he's done great. What I have heard with, he's with Rose, uh, Rosen, I believe. Yeah, I haven't heard enough. Of I him know to he's make made a down there. But, judgment on that, but
3: I'll, 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 I'll try to check him out and listen. That's yeah, interesting. You say that I've
1: enjoyed him. What I've heard, maybe one game, uh, and then you know pieces here and there on red zone, but uh, I have enjoyed him. You know, it's interesting how I, I consume NFL. Um, Obviously, I, I for the most part watch the the national night games, almost ninety five percent of them probably, unless something right. comes up. Uh, and of course, I watch the Saints game every week. And then the rest of the time, I'm pretty much watching Red Zone Channel uh, because it's a constant flow of action. There isn't the 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 insanity of you know touchdown, extra point, commercial, kickoff, commercial. You know that those that that kind of uh, just draining, um, uh, tedious existence isn't there on Red Zone. I wonder what you think about kind of habits, of the way people are consuming their football on television and even streaming in different ways uh, for the 2015 season.
3: That's an interesting question because, um, like you, I, I tend to now watch Red Zone more than a full game, and it's absolutely changed my how I consume broadcasters. You know, if I'm going to write about one, I wouldn't. I I can't watch the red zone. I have to watch the full game to get a real sense, because red zone, like you said, it the the by nature of watching that, it's always offensive. It's always, not always, but for the most part, it's in situations where the broadcasters are amped up because something's happening. You obviously get a lot of touchdown calls, which is a kind of a specialty thing. If you're watching red zone, you don't get a great feel for. Uh, you know, maybe when like a rules analyst comes in, or when the broadcasters have to discuss rules, if it's just a you know sort of a generic third and ten, let's say on the forty. So, it, it I think a lot of people watch Red Zone because of the fantasy component. For certain, I mean that that, yeah, that to me is the reason why Red Zone I think is blown up in terms of popularity. Maybe a little gambling, but in general, it's fantasy. I mean, that's that you can track your players basically by watching those games. Still, far and away, people watch the game itself, and they watch the full game in their market. That's still far and away how people still consume football. It'll be very interesting to see with the Bills-Jaguars game coming up how many people watch the streaming on Yahoo and what those numbers will be, because that will give us a sense of whether that could be a really profitable form for the NFL as we head forward. But, you know, I think by and large... um, people consume the NFL the last couple of years how they have the last couple of years, you know, whether they're red zone fanatics, whether they're watching their team generally just with their direct broadcast or they're like direct TV types. And they're watching, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 games. The great thing about the NFL is there are so many options now that you can, you can really, you're almost your own programmer at this point. You can, you can sit in the house and watch, you know, eight different games. You could focus just on one game. You could just focus on the red zone channel um, you know, or you can just basically let's say not even watch per se, and just play on your computer and track your fantasy team if you want to do that too.
1: And uh, I think another reason the Red Zone Channel has grown so much is because you don't need Directv for it either. It's it's available to a wider audience, you know. Yeah, um, I don't know. I don't know if it's the the
3: question would be is if it's available in every cable system in the country, but it's definitely available in a lot. Yeah, more. Um, so there's no doubt that it's. Um, it, it's, you know, I, I don't know the... You know, again, I think the numbers on it would be lower than you probably think, but 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 even if they're, let's say, 800,000, that's 800,000 that did not exist seven years ago, so think about that.
1: Right, and I noticed this week on Twitter, uh, I don't think I've noticed it in the past, but people saying, like, wow, it's 3.30, it's let's all get to Red Zone now, because the next hour on here is going to be unbelievable as all these games end and you get to see every... Finish in that three thirty right. to four thirty hour. Um, there's no,
3: there's no doubt. If I guarantee, if you track red zone, I bet be you the yeah. three thirty to four thirty hour would be higher than let's say the two to three
2: o'clock hour.
1: Yeah, I mean, I have two TVs in my room, uh, in my living room, uh, which is great. I, I, I recommend it for any married man or, or uh, serious <laughs> relationship man. I mean, my wife. Look at you giving out relationship advice. Oh yeah, podcast a, has
3: changed dramatically. Oh That's yeah, and, last
1: time. and I'm an, I mean, I'm the top guy for that. But uh, <laughs> you're the Lee Jenkins of oh, marriage yeah. expert. Lee Jenkins, yeah, exactly. No, it's just great, though, because, you know, baseball playoffs are coming up, and it's an every-night thing. And every night, baseball playoffs can be on my TV, and my wife can be happy five feet from me watching whatever she wants on the other TV. But, I don't like
3: this. Speaking of to, speaking to baseball playoffs, literally as we taped this today, uh, an hour ago, I got a film with Dusty Baker, the former Reds and Giants manager who will be working for Turner as a studio analyst this year.
1: Oh, very nice. Turner's, yeah. made, Turner's made some good hires, I think, sometimes. Like yeah, I think
3: Pedro's very good. Yeah, um, Pedro's I great. think he's interesting. And Schmaltz. And I think Sheffield was better than people would have expected. And, the, you? you know, the one thing about Turner that um, that I, I won't say I don't love, but I, I, I love Ernie Johnson, by the way, as a studio host, and as a person he's one of the great people in the business. I don't love him as a game-caller. So if there's one, but listen, Turner's loyal to Ernie, and they're not going to change that. But I actually feel like if there's one place they could improve, it would be in the number one announcing. Like, for me, Ernie as the number two guy, number three guy would be fine. Hmm. But I feel like they really could use a number one baseball voice that's like, you know, Dan Shulman, like a total knock-it-out-of-the-park person.
1: I think they should use Schmoltz alone, too, instead of in a three-man booth. Um oh, like a, like a two
3: you mean a two person yeah, a really strong
1: aligns. like a really strong like you said maybe and He's good
3: very yeah I think yeah. Smoltz I think I think Darling's good too I mean I, I yeah, think I like Turner's Darwin. got a lot of talent
1: Yeah they do uh, I'm interested to see this year the second world series and even the second um conference uh championship series how the uh you know the Fox three man booth will do this year I thought it was okay last year uh, but you could. Yeah, I, didn't, I don't. I don't. I mean,
3: I think Joe Buck is a great game caller. I think he's actually underrated in B- that. In but I don't love that booth because I don't love Harold Reynolds.
1: Yeah, I don't love him either. I, I was shocked they didn't. They didn't. Uh, I don't want to sound like a total smoltzmark here, but um, I thought that that was the sort of uh, made a lot of sense. To, uh, yeah, the only thing
3: I can tell you there is that um, I, I know they considered him, but I think if I'm right about this, Fox executive thought that the chemistry between Verducci, Reynolds, and Buck was better than the commissioner between Verducci, Smoltenbuck, or Smoltz and Buck. That seems right. preposterous to me, but that is, I believe, how they read it.
1: Well, I'm interested to give him another chance. I mean, uh, you, I I don't think you can kill any booth uh, too much over... I agree. No yeah, after games for, yeah definitely. One year, one year yeah. does not a booth make. And, or two. Uh, you know, Verducci is still the number one baseball writer there is, in my opinion. I love passing a lot as well. I, I would probably put him too, in terms of what I read um, on a regular basis with baseball. That that uh, Doc Gooden piece by uh, Verducci in the new SI is pff, ridiculously good.
3: Yeah, um, listen, Tom Verducci, is um, he's one of the best writers in the history of my place. He's a great guy. He's an incredible professional. Um, you know, I sort of hate to rank colleagues, but in terms of, like, value, most valuable colleagues, he'd be, you know, I've worked here 15 years. He's in the top three every single year. I've worked here, so you know—is he the best baseball writer? It's all subjective. I mean, some would say Roger Angel, some would say Verducci. I'm sure Passon would have like his, his people, but you know, his there's there is no one in the business who's as skilled in both television and writing as Tom Verducci is on that level. I, I would say that. I, you know, maybe but Buster only maybe a you know like a two or three there, but you know, Verducci is a is as good as it gets in terms of a magazine writer and then on television he's excellent. And that's just, that's, a, that's rare to be that great in two mediums.
1: I want to ask you a little bit about the spin off websites. And we've seen a lot of them in the last few years. And Maybe Grantland was one of the first or if not the first, and certainly was very, very successful. Uh, the Monday morning quarterback has been great. I think, uh, I, I'm judging success from uh, from a reader, uh, and and right. what I, I, and what I hear and see. I, right. I don't know the numbers and clicks and things like that, but um, I really thought that the Monday Morning Quarterback has been great. I've been really surprised uh, that the Peter Gammons one has seemed to go nowhere, um, and just I never hear about it. I never see anyone linked to it. I don't really know where to find it. You could tell me in a second they stopped it, and I I wouldn't even know and I'm surprised with that. And then uh, I know that ESPN has been working on the one with Jason Whitlock, but then Jason Whitlock got fired, and I don't know what the status of that is. And uh, you guys just did one with college football, and um, to me it just sort of seems like a place where they're putting Andy Staples articles now. Um, But talk a little bit about what you think about the spinoff websites and what has worked and what hasn't and maybe why or why not. I know that's are really
3: yeah, a, yeah, a lot of questions. They call it a yeah. micro-site, basically, and the is the sort of the terminology. And, um, you know, Grantland, far and away, I think, let's talk about sort of on a critical end, has been the most successful of those. Obviously, a big factor in that was Bill Simmons. Yeah. And the fact that they had, the, you know, the most popular sports writer in the country is... Sort of the anchor of that place, he went out and hired some incredibly talented people—not just in sports, but I mean, he hired a Pulitzer Prize-winning movie critic and Wesley Morris, who actually, literally this week, just left for the New York yeah, Times. Hired, but yeah. I mean, that's the kind—that's the kind of quality hire that Bill Simmons was making. So not just like the sports people, like you know, Bill Barnwell or Zach Lowe or Charlie Pierce, but I mean, Bill Simmons had enough—he had a big enough budget where he's bringing in pop culture, uh, you know, big-time people like Molly Lambert. and, and and Wesley Morris, so, um, so that's that's been a, you know, critically, that's been an absolutely successful site. Uh, money-wise, is it making money? It, it sort of depends who you talk to with ESPN. Uh, you know, I, I don't have the financials, so I wouldn't make the call. The, the numbers have been up at Grantland, but again, you can play and trick with numbers, because if you put enough Grantland pieces on the front of ESPN.com, well, Obviously, the, the numbers for that month are going to be up. So that, that that's done well. Without Simmons, I think the future is is a, it, it's still okay. It's just far more shakier than it has been uh, you know, or than it was when he was there. I think it'll last for as long as John Skipper's
1: tenure at ESPN. I could be wrong, but that would be my guess. I and think he he's just a fan of that project. Right? Skipper just What's done? that? John Skipper just extended his tenure. He just side. extended right. for three years.
3: So this would be my guess, right. but we'll see. You know, the Simmons leaving means that there's going to be an exodus of some writers. The question will be just how much. If it becomes really big, then they have an issue. So the other two microsites just at ESPN, 538, which is Nate Silver's site. This it. is a big year for them. The election is coming up. That site has not caught the traction I think people at ESPN expected. It yeah. certainly has not made it. money. So this is the big. This is the big sort of stretch for them. This site has to catch fire with this election cycle. If it doesn't, I honestly don't know how long that site would last. And no. And in terms of the undefeated, um, there is no ETA on that. Right. I, I, I still believe. I still believe, or I'd like to believe, it's going to launch. But people who are smarter than me, who cover this stuff, tell me it's not. So just leave it at that. I, I again, I don't. ESPN doesn't like to make. ESPN doesn't like to lose on decisions that they've sort of put into the marketplace and uh, offered a lot of fanfare, but smarter people than me don't believe it's going to launch, which will be a shame because that's like, the potential of that site is great, but so we'll see. And then in terms of the other sites you mentioned, the MMKB is doing good, fronted by King and um, you know, Jenny Brantis and Robert Klemko and... And um, you know, or a yeah. magazine now. Right? Well, and uh, B- 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 now at FS. Yeah, you know, listen, friends. if you write, like that site and you've read it, you know who the writers are: Andrew Brand on there, and so that's done really well. think mean, you yeah. have to have a it's good. You know, you have to have, you have to have a site that sort of has content and uh, that people are interested in. If it's going to be a micro site, so that's worked with the NFL. Adrian Wojnarowski is starting an NBA one with Yahoo. I think that could be successful, given the people um who he's hired so far and. Who he's bringing on the Gammon site, which I believe was called the Daily Gammons. I think it still exists, but I look at that less as a microsite and more of just Peter Gammons doing his own thing okay. on there, or giving him giving himself a forum to write. So that that's a lot different, I think, than um, than these other sites. I, it, that, that site to me, it doesn't strike me as a site that's sort of designed to make money. And and from and I don't read it every day by any means, but but. It, from what i sort of recall that's essentially just peter gammon's weighing in on stuff i I don't even know if peter Gammons has another writer working for that site so that that's a far different deal than um than what the mmqb and other things are
1: gotcha yeah i was um you know interesting listening to you there it's like well grantland has been super successful because it started with the number one sports writer in the country makes sense Monday Morning Quarterback has been successful. It also started with maybe the number one football writer in the country. Um, So it maybe seems like, you know, you really got to have a strong face to these sites. You have to, yeah. I mean, the reason why Yahoo's
3: site has a shot is because Wojnowski is... He's huge, yeah, um, huge. Yeah, he's the most... If he's not the most read, he's certainly the most recognizable WNBA... or WNBA. Certainly the most recognizable NBA writer in the country. And I think you need that to sort of have an anchor, and then people will come because of that anchor. You know, even for Wojnowski, I mean, he's got a million Twitter followers. I mean, that that's just very valuable in terms of pushing the brand awareness that this thing exists, which is, you know, also what Peter King could do. So, um, you know, that, that that is something you need if you're going to do these microsites. You know, let's say the Undefeated actually happens. They don't even at this point have anybody who's so, like, famous to, like, even sort of push the site. All right, they need a face so around. that's a real issue. Um. You know, just in terms of you need—it's such a crowded marketplace that you have to get awareness out there. And so, um, yeah, I, I think we're going to see more microsites. I, I can't necessarily tell you what the content will be, but I think I, I think you're going to see more of these quote unquote verticals popping up at, at big places.
1: What about the uh, new college football one at SI? Was I unfair with my sort of brief assessment <laughs> of it? No, I mean that—that's—it's
3: a new vertical for sure. But at the moment, it's it's. Um, it's be you know we're using a lot of the same guys who would be writing for SI.coms college football basically. So the one big difference there though is that we do have like sixty campus correspondents. So we do have content coming from the Power Five schools. Gotcha. Uh, you know, usually like college sports editors and college reporters. So that that is different than what SI.com had, and that can be a really valuable thing. So, to me, that's a really good – if you love college football, it's a pretty good site to go to on Saturday and Sunday.
1: It's sort of like But there's no, doubt,
3: there's no doubt that we did not hire anybody like some star to come in as, like, as a college football person. That, that is still essentially SI
1: staffers. Right. That sort of reminds me of what ESPN does with the NFL Nation writers, sort of.
3: Exactly. Yeah, although they did – you know, they, they they did bring in new people for that. It's not like – Oh, yeah. They, they didn't have 32 people. And just assigned them out. They, they hired you know, pretty good local people in those markets, but you know that's smart. They know that that's the one sport where they can actually assign a uh, writer to every team and, and it'll get read.
1: Well, they had the eight, right, that were doing as, them as divisions, and then those guys, right. I think almost all eight of them, took a team and then they filled in the other, whatever it is, however many to get to 32, uh, and they made a horrible hire in Buffalo. Um and it has just gone nowhere in this market. Uh, but they made an unbelievable hire in New Orleans, and I know it's very, very popular there. Um, and Mike Triplett does a great job. And um, I started following the Texans one during Hard Knocks uh, because I wanted to get spoilers, you know, who got cut, things like that. I love Hard Knocks. And uh, it was like she just barely barely, really tweeted. I, she just did it differently, I guess. Um, her, her writing was good. She just didn't seem to be as uh, – it wasn't intense as some of the other uh, coverages. I didn't follow it for long, but um, I just expected, I guess, a little bit more. But that works. Uh, I just I still can't believe they so tone deaf of ESPN. I mean, they hired a guy from Boston to be the Bills writer here.
3: And, yeah, uh, but I mean, come on. You, you know bust. that if you go to a market and you're a good reporter, even if you're not from there, you you, you could still provide good coverage. I mean, you know, I guarantee that every NFL writer in the that 32 ESPN Nation thing is not—they're not all from that city.
1: No, but that was just a bust. I mean, and to bring a guy from Boston in—I mean, who? No, I listen. Who I understand, especially
3: as we're taping this on the edge of the Bills That's Patriots, right. the the anti Boston fear for, or the anti Boston feel in Buffalo for Bostonians,
1: and it's always there. And uh, they did a thing last summer, I think. Where they picked the uh, three try to think how they worded it. I want to say maybe most important plays, something like that. And all three of his his three the three he chose were Wide Right, the Music City Miracle, and Don Beebe knocking the ball out of the three most important plays in Bill's history? Yes. And what would you have chosen? Uh, I probably would have chosen the Kelly Scramble in the regular season against the Dolphins um, okay. to win that game. That play just was huge for that group. I probably would have picked that. Um, you have to pick the, the, the field goal miss. You probably have to pick the, the most field famous play in the franchise's history. Yep, I'm fine with that one. you got to have that in there. I probably wouldn't put the Music City Miracle in there, it's division round. Yeah, I don't think I would eat it. You know,
3: the BB one is interesting just because it it so famously happened in the Super Bowl, but it it it's not an had it no impact. impact the game. But, you yeah. know, the thing is that this is an interpretive question. Do you look at it as like three most impactful moments in the history that were positive or negative or is it both? And then and they left that to you the know the then it tricky.
1: Yeah, they left that to the writers. So, for example, the Saints ones were seemingly pretty obvious to me, and that he picked the three that I probably would have. Uh, the Tracy Porter pick six in the Super Bowl. Uh, the yeah, the yeah. Gleason punt block, and then the onside kick in the Super Bowl, which was in my top five. Maybe wouldn't have been the third one. I probably would have made a decision one way or another between the two Super Bowl plays. Uh, but and but that one won. Surprise! I was shocked. That to me, it was a distant third to the other two moments. But uh, well, the one thing is, you know, I'm not, I'm,
3: I'm too. Uh, you know, it happened before my time. But I would love to know when the Bills won the AFC Championship. If there's some iconic gate play. That happened in one of those games and right. then you I have think to
1: even they, consider that. I think they did say Super Bowl era. Okay um, Super Bowl era. Yeah, okay. I think they did. But uh yeah, I just it it got a lot of heat here. He got a lot of heat. Everyone's very angry. There just wasn't like one play that really fans could be uh, look at it. there's too much talk about Mike Rodak, I think his name is. But um Boy. Another thing I want... Well, whatever. You know, the good thing is about, like, uh, the fact is, like, the, 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 you know, Bills fans have a million places to choose copy
3: from. If you don't want to choose ESPN.com, you have 16 Buffalo News and Rochester and Tim uh, writers to of the sort best. of cover the team, and, yeah. you know, you got Toronto writers, and then you got even, like,
1: national writers who are covering this team now.
3: Oh, yeah. Because yeah. they're 1-0.
1: I'm, su- I'm sure that they've... Uh, that mo- Sports center is coming now.
3: to uh, Buffalo, I
1: think, on Sunday, right? Yeah, so is the Guinness Book of World Records. They say it's yeah, huge. I
3: it. don't know what's going to happen, but if they somehow win that game, that, I mean, to go out to get to a 2-0 start with a new coach, a lot of new personnel, and to beat the defending champs would be an unreal start. I don't know how good or bad the Bills are, but that would, I'm be, not sure that would, that would be an unbelievably good start.
1: Yeah, you know, and it would be, this is crazy, but it would be the sixth time they started 2-0 since they made the Yeah, playoffs. no, I know that.
4: I, what is the schedule like after
3: the Well, Patriots, it's Miami right
1: know. away, right after, in Miami. So it's a big two. Weeks, oh, that's uh, winnable. Uh, yeah, I mean, the Dolphins
3: are better. Yeah, it's certainly a winnable game.
1: It's one I, th- I think when you look at the two teams and you go in, you, you figure they're going to split and win their home games. It's got to be there. I mean, a generic, if the Bills can end up two and one after three games, I, I think they're in
3: great. they that's a that's a great three game start.
1: They have a lot of a lot of talented players. They really do. There's a. Re- I was telling, uh, I don't know, my mother in law, maybe who's a big Bills fan. I was saying, look at you should be off the moon excited. There's a lot of reasons to uh, to be excited. There are. If Percy team,
3: Harvin is actually a legitimate. Difference maker. The, the Bills are a very interesting team offensively.
1: I was listening to, uh, um, I'm going to screw up his first name probably. Is it Bomani Jones? Is that how you say his first Bumani name? Bomani Jones. Yeah, I was course. listening to him last night on ESPN Radio. Really was enjoying what I was listening to. I was driving around and he had a guy on from F- that was just wrote, I meant to look it up today. I haven't got to it yet. But he wrote a piece on ESPN.com about 2008 to 2010, University of Florida. Um, and yeah, had, Jer- Jeremy Fowler. Yeah, I. Get, Oh, was it really? Was it Fowler? Really?
3: Jeremy Fowler, not Chris. Right, right, that, right. That, oh, yeah, he's, okay. uh, he's, he yeah, covered Florida for a local paper down there and then wrote the piece on ESPN.com about the Urban Meyer year.
1: One thing him and Jones were talking about was just how, I guess, awful to deal with Percy Harvin is. And I guess I sort of knew that uh, from his Seattle stay. And I had heard rumblings about it in Minnesota as well. But uh, they really went into has How's, how's in he Minnesota. been with um, – with the Bills. He's been quiet because he was injured most of the preseason. You almost forgot he was here. Um, so as far as I know, he's been pretty quiet. He made a big play on Sunday. Um, yes, he did. I've he mentioned this in the preseason that usually when a player of his national stature becomes a, a Buffalo athlete, his jerseys are everywhere. The hype on him is everywhere. It's been toned down a bit for him for whatever reason. Well, this is Maybe kind because, of, you know,
3: listen, this is kind of Percy Harvin's last shot. I mean. Right. Yeah, he's a very talented guy. He's now this is his fourth team, basically. I mean, yeah, he, it, it, there's not going to be many more chances if he busts out of here. So, you know, he's got something to prove. I would, I don't know what his contractual status is, but I would think if his contract's coming up this year or next, he could have a good year because I think he's, you know, he's got to try to sort of rebrand himself as a as an A plus kind of player. And and the last couple of years, he's had moments, but he's he's he he also sort of disappears and. He's been a headache for a lot of coaches, so his he could really use this year to sort of change his rep.
1: I uh side note though, I love listening to uh to Bomani Jones on ESPN radio. He he's gonna kill that. He's thing. going he's going to be getting the he little really spot. He was really the old good. spot from four to seven. So yeah. you, you you will probably have an easier time listening to him I'm gonna make heading a, forward. I'm gonna make a point of it. I thought he was really good. Uh, yeah, he's a t- very smart
3: guy, talented guy.
1: Couple things, uh sports are here with Richard Deitch, couple things I want to ask you about before we're out of time. Uh, the podcast you're doing, um, right, yeah, you've dabbled, uh, you've dabbled over the years. It's not like this is your first, uh, foray into having your first career. rodeo, correct? Right. right, you've dabbled, but it seems like obviously there's a there's a, a a newer, a more concentrated focus on the idea of podcasts at SI, and correct. there's a, a tie in with, uh, whoever it is, um, Panoply pe- and Slate, right, exactly, and, uh, there's a ton of shows, and right. I listen to a lot of yours just normally, um, and then preparing for today, I listened to some more, flipped around some more, and um, the first thing I want to ask is, we talked about how you dabbled, and then you went into this one, and there's a renewed focus on the platform there. Uh, did that change what you wanted the show to be at all? Has it? Motivated you to some extra st- extent? Are you taking the idea of podcasting maybe more seriously in your day to day, or is it just just the same? thing? No, good, given very,
3: very, very good questions. The answer is yes, for sure. Um, you know, I, I had done podcasts here on and off for the last three years, from uh, hosting the soccer one to doing a one that just interviewed SI writers, and I always enjoyed it, but there was really not a lot of backing. Uh, you know, for management and stuff. So, you know, the incentive for me to keep doing them was low because we, you know, it didn't seem like um, anybody really wanted them on a regular basis. It, it does, I did need a producer, so somebody has to produce them and that takes a lot of time for them to produce it. So, you know, what changed is that, um, the the leadership at SI.com made a real decision, I think, that, like, we're going to go for this. This is something that we could be pretty good at. We're going to try to find a partner, which we did with Slate and Panoply. We're going to try to sell it. And, you know, if you're going to be interested in doing this, you've got to commit to it every week and, and really, you know, approach it. that it's a big part of your job. So, yeah, you know, this I just did, um, I think, my 19th one this week. Um, so it's been going on for, whatever, now four months or so. And I take it very, very seriously. I consider it an absolute part of my job, and it's been great. Um, in terms of, yeah, the you know, the I looked at the marketplace, and I thought it would be really interesting to do a podcast, uh, a sports media podcast where you talk a lot about process and how people do their jobs. You know, my theory has always been that um, there's far more people interested in sports media people than anybody ever gives credit for. We, we know, the fact is, somebody like Scott Van Pelt is more, famous or popular than 25 people on a football team. You can rec- or maybe even more, much more. Like you recognize Scott Van Pelt's face far before you recognize the starting left tackle of the Bucks. So, um that was sort of my premise. I thought people would be interested if you can get into some really in-depth and long conversations about what they do and why they do it. You know, I've covered sports media for a while now, so I have pretty good contacts and I think people would come on and a lot of the people who I have on, they never get a chance to sort of talk in that kind of long format about what they do. So, it's, been, it's, been, it's gone much better than I expected. Uh, the reaction's been great. The numbers on the podcast have been much better than I expected. We'll see how long it goes. But, yeah, I mean, everybody who's doing one here takes it seriously. It's, um, it's become far more professionalized than what we were doing, and that's something I really appreciate, and that was something I really wanted.
1: Now, you've chosen to focus on the interview. Uh, the podcast starts, you talk about who you're interviewing, then you interview them, then you talk about interviewing them. Correct. Uh, you haven't at all made it about maybe your opinions about the things that you cover on your job. Is there any consideration it, to do that?
3: Yeah, it's a very good question. Intentionally so. The people at Slate and Panoply want me to do that, and I may, as we head forward in like the last section of the podcast, sort of maybe comment on one or two issues of the week. But I want to be careful with that because everybody in the world has an opinion. It's the easiest thing to do. I could do it for three hours very easily. But I think by doing these interviews I'm, I'm offering people something unique that they can't get elsewhere so that has to be the focus but I am thinking about uh, by the end of let's say each show if there's something really big you know Bill Simmons joins this place or you know uh, the NFL uh, has assigns a new Saturday night package to this network I think I probably will add a segment where I just sort of riff on it for a little bit but that it's never going to be the focus of the show um, because I think ultimately the focus of the show has to be the guest that I have on
1: it is the hardest thing to do in my opinion. At least it's the hardest thing I do on this show. Um, maybe I'm just a, natu- a more natural interviewer uh, or I'm more interested in what other people have to say than what I have to say. But I think I, that's good.
3: I mean, I think ultimately, I think the reason why your podcast has lasted as long as it has and why it's had the success is because of the people you have on, not because you guys are rifting on Buffalo Sports. No, which that's I think- right a hundred people can do.
1: Right, and that's right. They may not do it
3: well, but I'm just saying that's the easiest thing in the world to do. The hardest thing to me is to find an interesting guest and to try to get something compelling out of that guest.
1: Well, I've always thought that being that we're not on a national platform, that we've had to try to infuse our own personalities in in some way. Uh, You you need people. I mean, I hope
3: during the interviews people can get my personality. I mean, that has to be part of the show. It just can't be. It can't be an hour of me just
1: rifting. No. Uh, and what I wanted to ask you, kind of going off of that... Oh, man, I was just about to nail it, too, and you you, you got in there on I me. Mean, that's all right. um, No, but right. You're, you're now having conversations with yourself <laughs> with on your myself. own podcast. And that's really... I may mean, be, people, it may or may not be interesting. No, I people come for that, I'm sure. Think about that one. No, I wanted to ask you about uh, about booking it. Um, and, and what... Have you mostly gone... PR? Have you gone to people directly? Have you done a mix? Uh, yeah, I mean, what have you you they, found uh, out about yeah,
3: you know, having covered this a long time, I, I have the contacts of anybody. Uh, this is not even, I'm not trying to even sound like an ass here. I, I, have, I have contacts, direct contacts, whether it's cell phones or emails, of like 95% of the people you know, who I would be interacting with or writing about, et cetera, in the business. So I do have access directly to them. So the way I've looked at it is if I have a good relationship to someone, a good professional relationship, I'll go directly to them. Okay. But then I will also give their PR people, if they work for a network, a heads up saying I've contacted this person. They're interested in doing this. If it's someone who I don't particularly know, or if it's someone who is uncomfortable without PR knowing, I will go to PR first. So, I'll give you a perfect example. I did a couple of weeks ago. Antonetta Collins, right? Uh, Let's listen to that. Today. From or Tony Collins, basically from ESPN. She um, she's an ESPN.com digital anchor. Although she's starting to do more stuff. to Baseball tonight. Very smart. And um, we we you know wanted it for a while to do something uh, with a Hispanic reporter in the marketplace and the challenges that a latina reporter has in the sports media because there are not many certainly at the national level and so we had interacted a couple times on twitter but not a lot and she was one who i went to pr uh first because i think that she would be more comfortable especially because she doesn't have let's say like the juice of a scott van pelt or something like that so that it was sort of all formal and and hierarchy. And if P, unless PR is spectacularly dumb, they're not going to give me any issues with this because that's giving somebody publicity who doesn't get a ton of national publicity publicity. So that right. would just be dumb on their part to, um, to sort of hold up. The other thing, too, is there hasn't been any person who hasn't wanted to do this. And if you're right. talented at these places and you tell your PR people, I want to do this, you're doing it, man. I mean, right. you know, PR has some power, but they don't have, generally speaking, they don't have power to tell people, you know, not to do something, All you know, if they really, really want to do it unless... You know, inevitably it can hurt the company, which you know, unless you say something really stupid on my podcast is not going to happen. So, so in general, I'll give the PR people a heads up, but I'd say 85% of it is me reaching out directly to the people I want on and then 15% through PR other means. The last thing I would say is this. You know, and this is this has nothing to do with me being Richard Dice, This has to do with me working at Sports Illustrated. I, at this point, I'm getting pitched almost weekly on guests too. Right. So it, even in terms of like the booking part, it, it's become much easier because I'm getting a lot of people who want to be on. So I'm hearing from PR people and I'm hearing from their representatives and stuff like that.
1: Yeah, I, I've pretty much decided I have to, with the exception of books. I, I love going through PR with books because they'll send you them. Uh, and, Correct. And, well, you know, if somebody has a book out, they want to talk. Yeah, so that's, that's always a good person to have on a podcast. Pretty much all the PR there is to do is to schedule people. Um, so, Correct. So it's great for books, but otherwise, I just can't go that route. And um, because they just don't care about this show enough. Well, you're, in, you know,
3: this is not to knock you, but you know, this is what's tougher. You, is yep. you're an independent. Independent. So yeah. it's harder to do that. But you, you know, I've told you this many times off uh, off air. You have to be as you know, you be as professional as you can be. With your um, pitches, and you don't, you know, if they say no, you try not to take it personally because generally speaking, it's not. You try to keep a good relationship, but at the same time, you have every right once you establish a relationship with somebody individually, you go directly to them. Yeah. You know, the difference is like you're not, you don't have to interact with Fox's PR person on a weekly basis like I do. So if you go directly to their talent and their talent wants to do it, and you say, please just let your PR department know. That's you know you're well within your right to do that. Just just be polite, be professional, but you don't work for them. You work for you.
1: Yeah, and if I send a really respectful and thought out pitch and you don't even respond to it, you're basically telling me if you want this person on, you have to ask someone else.
3: You know. Well, I think I, I absolutely agree. Like if you make your if you email a department and they don't get back to you, and you've done it professionally you don't know them anything after nope. that you 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 were professional you sent your email then you should go for people on your own but you know the, the tricky thing for you guys is that you're a, you know you're an independent podcast that's um that's not connected to a big place so it's going to be inevitably tougher for you than it would be for me or somebody who works for yahoo and that's why you got to hustle a little bit but you know you also have a track record which is great you can email any subject to say hey, we've done 150 of these check out some of the names that are on there and that's going to give you instant credibility Last thing I really you go like- I'm giving you one last question because I must go I have I
1: have stuff to do but by the end of the day you know'm yeah. saying I I yeah. have I have I have kids to feed and other things last thing on that is, two things on that is one I was just about to say last thing and uh, two you told me your heart out was at six it's 551 so I figured this was the perfect time to give you your- yeah but I
3: need I need like at least five minutes to sort of you know calm down from this uh, this high pressure interview
1: <laughs> all right last thing uh, it's getting very close to October 1st uh, which right. means that Simmons is going to emerge from the underground. Uh, he is promising- I think He's emerged on Twitter, but yeah, well, yeah, yeah, sense. but even more so, uh, emerged in terms of uh, content. Uh, if Twitter is content, fine, but uh, long form content. Uh, he's got a podcast that he's anxious to to give us. He's been all over Twitter with his cousin Sal, and don't worry, one more week of this or whatever. Uh, and we know that there's the h b o tie in and there's maybe gonna be a writing portion somewhere or something uh What are you anticipating with the rebirth of simmons and um uh he's the biggest name he's uh he's He's brought prominence to sports media in a way that almost nobody has in a long time um so what are you anticipating? Uh, October first, and uh, and
3: uh, well, October first. I, I mean, if anything happens, I think I'll anticipate some kind of return podcast return, which and, wherever is that, that ends, yeah, wherever that ends up. And I think he'll he'll start with some excellent guests, big time people, very famous. I don't know how far he's going to go in terms of his ESPN experience. He may he may not touch it at all, or he may he may touch it in great depth. I, that I don't know, but I would expect him to have some very significant people. Uh, in his podcast for the first, you know, eight weeks or so, including significant NBA people. I think it will do very well. I think people are looking forward to him coming back. I think the podcast will be incredibly professional, so, you know, the high-level Grantland. And I don't know, the one thing I'd say is, I don't know when he's going to write again. I think that's going to take a backseat to the television show coming up on HBO in 2016 and the podcasting for sure. I think he will write again somewhere, but I think it will be far less than we've seen before but i would expect the podcast to be uh, knowing him and knowing his his contact list i would expect the first couple podcasts to be very very big names i don't know who they will be but a plus kind of names
1: the si media podcast is weekly and you can get it on itunes and of course si.com also the media circus column is usually sunday sometimes monday sometimes when news breaks course si.com for that at Richard Deitch on twitter which i did laugh when i was listening to your podcast so at the end you said something like please contact me with your feedback even if it's bad and i was thinking don't do that you'll be blocked richard right block yeah, in, in, in that, that case i'm, I'm totally do, do uh, do not i'm playing to you if yeah. you
3: really are critics right. no, i'm not if it's if it's criticism that's civil about the podcast i absolutely will take it trust me we've gotten a lot of audio and other stuff. So I, if I certainly have blocked people on Twitter, but there's no chance I would block you if you criticize the podcast. Uh, you know, usually you get blocked if you're just an absolute a blank. You but, took um, a vote.
1: You took a vote for but a no, block. I, I, I,
3: I, the only person who cannot criticize the podcast is you. You okay. will get an auto block.
1: All right, uh, not that it matters, because uh, you just view on another thing, or I mean, it sounds like you follow me, and I'm going to lose anything. Uh, you had a vote for a block, right? Some guys. I did.
3: (laughs) What was the result? I mean, I was. To be very honest with you, I sometimes do that. I was never going to block the guy, but I think I actually think it's funny to put to put it out there to 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 let let your followers make the decision on block. It's like Gladiator, basically with Joaquin Phoenix, you know, putting the thumb up or down.
1: Yes, I laughed at that. That was funny. Uh, Do you have a vote? uh, No, but I thought he shouldn't be blocked.
3: Yeah, he was not. He he continues on.
1: I thought he was making a small joke. Yeah, he was. Do you have any questions for me?
3: None, no? absolutely zero. Uh, did you watch the uh, Republican debate? That's that's one question.
1: I did watch much of it. Yes, probably.
3: Ah, so, so you were, you know, we one of the twenty-four million people. That's interesting.
1: Yeah. Well, and right now, who? Because you know, it's
3: my old hometown. Yeah. Yeah. Right now, who is the number one, uh, like local sports broadcaster? and I'm not talking about radio or anything, but like you know, the one thing that Buffalo, uh, you know, when I was there, they had long-time sports anchors. They didn't necessarily ever break stories, but you know people would watch them for sure is there some is there like one local channel that everybody watches for sports
1: right now no i think the tv sports news is dead
3: it's dead yeah, it's a shame yeah. i think you're probably right which is just a bummer so wgr and the buffalo news sort of still yes set the conversation and they're uh, very
1: polarizing very polarizing yeah
3: Well, gr. Uh, what's interesting um gr seems to have become much more of a polarizing station uh in the last like five ten years when i was gone than it was when i was there it's they've, they've their broadcasters are really much more kind of black and white than gray, uh, which must be a specific strategy. But it was not like that when I was in town.
1: And it's surprising, too, considering that they are now the home of both teams. You'd think maybe that would be the time they take a step back. But I will say they have two shows, which are very much commercials for the teams. Uh, there's a morning show by Kevin Sylvester and Andrew Peters about hockey. It's a total fluff Spot for the Sabers, and then although it's pretty decent, the John Murphy show at night is also similar. Uh, yeah, a, well, he's, is Murphy still employed by the Bills right. as an announcer? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, he's the he's the radio broadcast. Yeah, I've
3: done that show once, but yeah. yeah, and I like I like John Murphy. He's always a good guy. It's a guy good guy to me show. It's, it's When not I was bad. In town, but that's a very he, there's no way that, that guy's criticizing the Bills. No, 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 no significant level.
1: But the morning show there, they'll go all out. Uh, show up in the Bulldog, absolutely. Uh, Shop is very smart, pretty good. Uh, and Tim Graham and Mike Harrington are awesome. Mike Harrington is going to start doing the inside the NHL column that Jim Kelly made famous. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh Bucky Gleason did it for a bit, and then now uh Harrington is doing it this year. yeah, well, listen, I
3: know I know Mike since I was nineteen years old, yeah, he's so great. um, but he, he got at the news and he's i will <laughs> say this about Mike he takes Twitter I, people think I take Twitter too seriously, he takes it too seriously, but he can be amusing when you know he's getting waves and waves of crazy saber fans going out him
1: and he went against them all year, and he, he
3: correct' said, cause he was a uh anti-tank. he was don't he was a don't tank, yep. Guy, uh, which I, I was not. I was. They absolutely, oh, yeah. at a certain point should have should have tried to tank and it worked out. So yeah, I on. give him credit. He yeah. he was steadfast in his beliefs on that.
1: And he came on my, I do.
3: I do think though. You know, five years from now, when Jack Eichel is one of the best players in hockey, I think. Sabre fans will look back on that season as a huge success.
1: Yeah, and he came on my show in November, and we debated it for 35 minutes, and um, he, was, he was unbelievable. It was, it was great. Yeah,
3: Harrington's he's a guy. I mean, listen, you know, I, I, no one in town is always going to love sports writers. as sort of part of the course. But he, he, Mike Harrington cares about journalism. cares about the right things. I can, I can promise you that.
1: Can I say one thing to you about the debate before we hang up? Because you brought it up.
3: <sighs> yeah, if you okay. can do it in 120 seconds, yes.
1: Yeah. Look at I lean right. Socially, I'm moderate, if not liberal. Social issues, right. I'm almost like the rest of the country. I'm not religious, uh, so I get bummed. I, I, I'm turned off to the li- religious right. So I'm somewhere okay. between the religious right and the mid in the in the medium is where I stand. Um, and I just, I just can't, I just can't even understand what is happening. This whole 2016 election is like. Well, I, here's the deal. Just keep just in mind that it's
3: keep in mind that it's late September, right? It's the, a, the, lot of time. The, the, yep, a lot of time. The primaries are still the Iowa caucus or whatever it is, it's still far away. Bill so we're was not we're here ways ahead from anything yep. being real. That said, I agree with you. It's been it, it has been a primary season unlike any other when a reality television star, essentially, which is what Trump is, can lead the GOP. Um, and the whole debate the was about it's it. Amazing.
1: The whole debate was either about him or responding to him.
3: Correct. There's no right. way because, for because else you have to emerge. keep in mind that ultimately CNN wanted a television show as and much as the anything got, else, and sure. and if they want that, then the debate has to be about Donald Trump. Yeah.
1: All right. So, yeah. I,
3: is, there's a reason why 24 million people watched. Yep. And it wasn't
1: you know, and it
3: wasn't because of Ted Cruz.
1: Biggest show in the history of CNN. Correct. Me. By a lot. Richard, I've right, well, you. given you what is it? Fifty-eight minutes. This is fifty minutes, and it's free. Forty-eight minutes. Yeah, you're yeah, you're a long time. Yeah, no, no charge. No one has uh, No one has supported the show like you have over the years. Uh, no doubt, and, and that's been a, a huge plus. But we're also very much tied to you. I know you're not tied to us because yeah, without you're a yeah, that's style. correct. Without me, there is you, you, <laughs> you. don't get that font of SI people, which has helped you then get other famous people. Right, you weren't the first SI guy, but no,
3: I, I know that I'm right. I, but I I the drum for you before Yeah, I mean, no. who's the first guy, Wertheim?
1: Uh Wertheim uh was it P- Wertheim, yes, Wertheim was first. No, yes, you I know. think was no, a great no, guy. You were, you were before might be, my fa- might be my
3: favorite guy at that
1: You told me to get Wertheim. So he was after Yeah, him. he's
3: great. He's, 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 Joe he's is, the Joe is most the, the most important tennis writer in the, not just in the US, in the world.
1: Joe Pisansky was first.
3: Oh was, that's a very good that. yeah
1: he was still has he been there. on since? Yeah two times. Okay, good. Good. And he we yeah. almost lost contact with him because Wertheim came on during the Paterno thing and oh, right. talked against him. And Yeah, he, I heard this. I heard Poznanski was pretty pissed. As yeah, as he, as he as. got real pissed. All right. Yeah. We but uh, but you can't take that
3: out on your, your podcast. And that's what a good podcast is. That's why you ask ask good questions and you get – that's good content. Ask people right. that
1: stuff. Yeah, he was just on uh, promoting his last book, The Golf Book. He was good. He's a good guy. He's got a really great assistant too. Real helpful. Excellent. Jennifer. All right, Richard. Have fun with the twins. And enjoy the Thank city. you. Good luck. Good luck to the Bills this weekend. Ugh. All right. We'll talk soon. All right. See you. It's time for a new segment we've created called Five on Fantasy. With the first pick, Adrian Peterson, Drew Brees, Stephen Jackson, Miles Austin, Let Ocho Cinco, TJ Zada I once tricked my brother Greg into picking Roy Williams about nine rounds after he had actually been selected. <laughs> I don't care. I'm just trying to win me a fantasy football league. All right. I want to thank Richard Deitch for being on the podcast. It's always great to have uh, RD, R.D. in the yeah. building. All right. Uh, the book club needs a break because I'm sick of reading. <laughs> uh, so Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah. Don is as well. Uh, so at least for today, uh, we're going to do five on fantasy. And what we're going to do today, two weeks in, there's a lot of teams, including a couple of mine that are 0-2 uh maybe some teams that are 1 and 1 uh and maybe even there's a, maybe there's a few teams that are 2 and 0 but uh it's a, it's a thin 2 and 0 uh maybe they just sure, got yeah. lucky to uh play against some really shitty teams in their league uh but what we're going to do today is talk about guys that might be screwing you and if you should panic or not and also we're going to throw in some guys that might be the reason you're 2 and 0 and uh warn you if maybe they're not going to be like if you're two and zero because uh, D'Angelo Williams is just yeah. kicking ass. Uh, you might want to be worried. <laughs> my <laughs> my
2: my brother's team in my league has hit the weekly prize both right. times. I looked at his roster. I'm like, how? But he had D'Angelo Williams. Yeah, and he's got a good roster, but and not his as Patriots. good as Patriots.
1: Yeah, yeah. Got Edelman or one of them. I right. think. And, all right. Well, nobody knows about that. Team sure. Or right. That guy. So let's. Uh, you can start. Who do you got?
2: All right. The guy I started. With, the first guy that came to my head when you said to think of a guy and we're going to discuss their outlooks or whatever, is Andrew Luck. Right, Uh, a lot of
1: guys picked him with their first pick maybe.
2: Sure, yeah, especially in any sort of uh, non-redraft league, any sort of keeper league, he was an early pick. So what do you think? Is this for real?
1: I think Andrew Luck is great. I think he's super talented. Uh, I think he's uh, a really good player in the league, and I think that he will figure it out. I I would be fine. Uh, And I would absolutely be buying low if someone wanted to bail on the Andrew Luck pick.
2: Yeah, I don't know if you want me to give my thoughts on my own picks, but totally agree. He played arguably two of the best defenses in the league. This is the best. Go get him if an Andrew Luck owner is panicking.
1: Uh, So number one on my list along the same uh, lines was Drew Brees. Hmm. Uh, Maybe you didn't pick him as early as you picked Luck, but you probably picked him and maybe didn't back him up. You know, you figured that'd be your guy and you'd roll with him. Uh, so, go ahead, Don. What would you do? Now, of course, he's injured right now. Yeah, that's the toughest so you, thing. So, you have to have another guy. It,
2: it'd be really easy for somebody to say, like, we were right. Drew Brees has had a bad off season, or this was what we predicted in the off season. but it's kind of based on injury, and he maybe didn't have a Drew Brees-like monster game week one, but I think if you have him, you have to hold him. I would back him up, obviously, this week because of the in- injury if, if he doesn't play, but I think you almost kind of have to roll with them that said i mean the reason i never take quarterbacks early is because there's a ton of them i yeah. mean where was carson palmer drafted this year where was maybe not at all right i mean maybe wh- even colin kaepernick i know didn't get drafted in a lot of leagues but he's proven as even if it's garbage time to be a reliable fantasy guy through two weeks so i'm holding breeze but i'm picking up a backup and that's that's kind of easy to say because of the injury.
1: No problems with anything there. My uh, next guy I wanted to throw out was Jeremy Hill. Uh, He might not be the first running back that comes to mind that struggled. There's a few others, and I'm sure they'll come up. But my thing with Jeremy Hill is, wow, his coach threw him under the bus on Sunday and said that he fumbled in a big spot. That's not part of his game. They're not going to let that be part of his game. And then they put Gio Bernard on the field, and he tore it up. up. So... And remember last year, there was a spot where Gio Bernard came off. They put Hill in, Hill tore it up, and Bernard just couldn't get back on. Yeah, Jeremy Hill. Are you worried at all if you're a Jeremy Hill owner?
2: Yes. Jeremy Hill's a guy that I I liked in the preseason, and uh, I wouldn't have backed off because of Gio Bernard. But I think even if Hill bounces back, I mean, Bernard's good enough where he's going to get carries. And that was probably going to be the case anyway. But, I mean, if the coach is going to do what uh, what other coaches are known to do, like uh, Belichick or something. Write a hot hand. Yeah, or, yeah, ride a hot hand. And that might or, be
1: what they did last year that made Hill a star.
2: Yeah, probably. So I'd be a little worried, not based on talent, but based on the coach. All right, my next one, uh, this kind of piggybacks off yours, but I think, I mean, Brandon Cooks. He's healthy. Uh, Breeze is not. Are you worried about Cooks? Cooks
1: wouldn't even be on the list if that Breeze pass didn't fall short, right? That one where I told you he was a bad throw away from catching a sure. 70-yard TD for a touchdown. Here's what I'd say about Cooks. He's the best guy they had. Yep. And even if Breeze doesn't play a game or two, whoever does, a big part of the game plan is for that guy to get Brandon Cooks the ball.
2: And Cooks' stat lines have been – they're almost identical, right? Something like five catches for 50, 60 yards. He's been hours, much better in PPRs. Like so
1: I mean, if he's, in a, P, if he's in a PPR guy, he's getting you about ten a week. That's not first wide receiver's number, right. but that's uh, startable.
2: Yeah, I think maybe if people are panicking a little bit, it's because you expected him to maybe break one of those. And
1: I think he's still – I'd be patient with him. Okay. I think he's a very, think, very talented I think I guy. agree.
2: I think you have to be. Yeah. I, mean, I don't think there's any reason to sell him at this point.
1: Well, now here's a guy that you could be very worried about, and I picked him first overall in the league – and not first overall, but my first round pick. And man, do I wish I didn't. And that's C.J. Anderson. Uh, he is averaging one yard carry so far, uh, and just something isn't clicking. Now, for a few people say, you know, uh, Ronnie Hillman's look like the better guy. I, I guess. I mean, but you know what? I, I he's not lighting the world on fire there either. I
2: drafted Ronnie William or Ronnie Hillman based on any. The thought probably the thought with CJ Anderson being so high is any running back running with Peyton Manning is going to get favorable situations, and that just hasn't been the case. That said, I straight up dropped Ronnie Hillman for Carlos Williams because I don't I I do, I don't know. I don't see Hillman as being any more talented than C. J. Anderson, and if CJ Anderson's gonna struggle, I don't have any reason to believe that Hillman would take so, over. So
1: if Anderson's the guy or your guy, what are you what are you doing?
2: I I think you gotta hang on to him. I think uh, you
1: hope he's this year's Eddie Lacy. Uh, I don't know if you remember last year, but Addy Lacy just had nothing the first few weeks. Right. I mean, he had nothing. He was, I think, like 30th at his position after three weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, And this might be the case as well, uh, that he's just off to a slow start.
2: Yeah, I mean, the offense was. And that said, they're 2-0. and So, I mean, they're not going to shut anybody down. They're not going to. That defense is great, it, it looks like. They so. played
1: against a good Chiefs defense in Kansas City. Yeah, they put up 31 points. And they played uh, the Ravens as well. Yeah, so so
2: they played two tough defenses, and maybe Manning isn't what he was, but I still think he's intelligent enough. Like He's got it between the ears still to put Anderson in good spots to run.
1: Well, that's three for me, so this means this is your fourth. We'll do five each. This is only my third, actually. Oh, really?
2: Yeah, I have Carlos Hyde. Uh, This is kind of one of the more positive ones, but, I mean, you can look at this both ways. Is he the Carlos Hyde of the first week or the second week? I know he was injured, so maybe this one isn't fair either. Yeah, no, I I think
1: he left with uh, maybe a concussion, and then it wasn't. But then there was some other injury anyway. Yeah. To me, it, he's still way above my outlook for him. I like. Okay. You know, he's still way better than I thought he was. Did we see his best game of the year though? We might have.
2: Yeah, that's I, that's kind of what I think about it too. Like but that he, was a great game. Sure. So yeah, he probably doesn't have to be that good to be productive. right. He'll probably outplay his draft stock, but he. I don't think he's as good as that first game.
1: Maybe not. Uh, Let's see. How about Jimmy Graham? Uh, I really want to talk a bit about him, but I'll give you a chance first. What do you think about Jimmy Graham?
2: I'm a little bit nervous. One
1: touchdown, had one catch for 11 yards last week.
2: I have him in a league, and I obviously could have taken him or Travis Kelsey. And Kelsey's hurt, but it's kind of like he's getting more touches. And, I mean, Jimmy Graham is probably going to be the best touchdown threat and maybe the best red zone threat in the league still but boy that offense just isn't going at all and I mean I liked Russell Wilson a lot uh maybe not fantasy wise but just as a guy that can keep defenses honest and Marshawn Lynch is there and Lynch has done nothing so I'm a little bit worried about him I don't think there's anything you can do about him really right now because you're not gonna
1: would you pick up uh the big tight end pickup this week and consider using him over him Uh, Who am I thinking of? Why can't I? Crockett Gilmore? Yes.
2: No, he's got to show me it again, At, at least a few times. But the one thing, when I, especially in a PPR league, and all my leagues happen to be PPR, so I should say I'm coming from that angle more than anything. When I'm picking up a wide receiver, the thing I look at is targets and receptions because that matters more to me than the fact that a guy like Travis Benjamin had three catches for 90 yards and a touchdown. Like, I just think that's a little more hard to predict. Um, if Gilmore keeps getting five, six catches a game, whatever it is, then, yeah, maybe you think about it. I, you got to figure if Lynch isn't going, they're going to try to get Graham more involved. He's the best player on the offense, so I think they have to.
1: Here's the only thing I'll say about Graham is that I know he's a sensitive kid. Yep. Yeah. And the book on him was that he was soft, and the team that put the book on him was the Seahawks, right? Okay. They were always the ones screaming, you're the softest guy in the league, and in this playoff game tonight we're going to shut you down, and they did. And the thing is, is he's a really sensitive guy. He was a kid who was abandoned when he was a kid. You know, he had a tough life starting out. He hasn't played a lot of football. He's green. He had a quarterback and a coach who took care of him, Mm -hmm. who looked after him, who focused on him. Right? And he was really hurt that then they didn't want to pay him. Like he thought he needed to be paid. And going to Seattle was probably very difficult for him in the sense that he probably had a really lot of anger and resentment towards some of the guys in that locker room. Um, but it's going to just take him a little bit of time uh, to be feel like he's appreciated and to play his best. And um, I would be patient with him, but I would be I would know that this is a sensitive guy who's used to being the guy that the whole offense revolves around. Uh,
2: and maybe that's not the case in Seattle. Uh, he's got to get more than last game. He had two targets. Yeah, they need to do. They need insane. to do
1: more, and they need to make a point to do more. Marshawn Lynch had six. Right. Yeah. Comparison needs to do more.
2: All right. Um, just give me
1: one more, and then I'll give you one more.
2: All right. The guy I think that's interesting for you, because I know we were both kind of high on the preseason hype and all that, uh, Amir Abdullah. he's looks good. He's just not being given the ball, really.
1: Look it. He was great week one, right? Sure. Everyone was pumped about him week one. Yep. Week two, the team sucked. The team stunk it out. He only he had, what, six carries for nine yards? Well, that was still the most carries anyone got. So it's not like Joik Bell had 30 carries for 170 yards and... Taught him a lesson.
2: Yeah, that's true. I didn't even realize that.
1: They sucked that day. Yeah. Everyone on the team sucked. Stafford, who apparently was hurt, he sucked. Right? Did Tate do anything? I don't think so. I know Calvin Johnson, well, he caught a touchdown. Did it stand? I, I, don't, I don't remember. He did
2: catch. Well, Calvin Johnson had a nice stat line, especially if you're in PPR. He ended up with 10 catches, only 83 yards. So it's not a very Calvin Johnson-like game but, and a TD. But.
1: Yeah, no, I, I just think, look, at that's a classic, hey, he's already probably done more than you thought. And because he did so much that first week, expectations were high the second. And, unfortunately, the team, they laid an egg.
2: All right. I had two more. Uh, You don't have to get into them as much, but I'm just curious. These are my guys that are very positive about Just You could just say if you believe in them or not. Yeah. Deion Lewis, Tyrod Taylor. Do you believe in those two guys? Uh,
1: Lewis, uh, not as much. He's worth a spot, but be careful because they're so fickle when it comes to running backs. And I think they played a couple teams that they thought the best thing to do was not run. Right, like you know, like if if it's gonna be a blunt game, it's gonna be because they're gonna decide to pound on a team, Mm -hmm. and I just don't think think that that's the way you attack the Bills, right? The Steelers, right? And blunt wasn't there the first week anyway, Uh, but be careful with him and the other guy Taylor. um, Man, his yards per completion is so low. Yeah, so low. See, and
2: I think I talked about that during the first segment. I think that's a Bills thing. They need to. I think they can air it out with him. They've got those speed on the field. I don't think they will. I think yeah, I don't he's think they gonna, will either, but I think they should.
1: I don't think his numbers will be there for you. There's value in his rushing.
2: Yeah, 40 yards a game. Yeah,
1: but um, he's probably outside of a top 12 quarterback for me. Now, if you got one of these guys that's hurt.
2: Yeah, has a lot of injuries. So yeah. That's what makes him more interesting. He might be
1: a good guy to pick up and plug in for a bit, but I don't think he's a long-term top 12. Okay. Uh, the other guys I had on my list that you can comment on real quick were Justin Forsett. A.J. Green, and T.Y. Hilton.
2: I never liked him before. Uh, this wasn't my thought. I think I heard it probably on the Fantasy Focus podcast, but it's kind of the way I think. I don't like guys coming off career years, because I think you got to buy high on them, and I don't like guys that he's a veteran. We're, we're
1: talking about four set, right? Cause like, yeah, yeah, I'm talking about four set. Yeah, Sorry.
2: Okay. I don't like guys that uh, – I don't like a veteran guy that, like, Right. It, Never like, did, did nothing. Did something. And, right. Right. So I was not that high on four set to begin with. I think somebody there, a lot of guys there to Vulture has him to. to be yeah. good. So maybe if one of them kind of breaks away, like Talia Farrow or they got some other guy too. I can't remember his name, but I think they might be good, but I I, I wasn't buying into four set. Who are the other ones now?
1: Uh AJ Green and T. Y. Hilton, two wide receivers. You worried about them at all. Both way down on the list, total points so far. Uh, uh,
2: not worried about AJ Green. Hilton's injury. It's slowed him. Yeah. And Revis Island. You know what, Hilton, I well, yeah, that too. But yeah. I, I'd be a, a tiny, long-term, I like Hilton still. He's got the same reason we talked about Luck. I think Luck's awesome, and he's the best receiver on that team from the, to catch balls from that quarterback. Uh, and I think A.J. Green's fine.
1: All right, I'm cutting it. Let's take a break and come back with uh, S.L. Price. Our next guest is from Stamford, Connecticut, and is a graduate of North Carolina. He is a senior writer for Sports Illustrated and is making his sixth appearance on the podcast today. A warm sportscaster's welcome to SL Price. How are you doing today, Scott? Good. the,
4: the Six Timers Club. So, so who, who holds the all-time record?
1: Lee Jenkins. And how many times has he been on? Twenty. Twenty times yes. <laughs> the untouchable, the
4: untouchable Lee Jenkins.
1: Yes, you know uh, it's because he's
4: like he's like he's like he's like the Alec Baldwin of of like
1: <laughs> he, Steve Martin of, the, he, of,
4: he, of, uh, of of the
1: show. Yes, that's funny. He is. You know, it's mostly because we don't have a lot of basketball contacts, and he's just so right. he's so nice that he just I think he never says no. You know. A couple times I've talked to him like, ah, he probably wanted to say no today. So I kind of, you know, let him off the hook, but uh he's been great to us obviously. And also he was on like show 7 or something, you know. So he's been there like since 2011. Great. Um so a very very uh, Well, I'm I'm,
4: I'm here I'm guy. here to carry Lee's water for him.
1: Oh, well, thank you. It's outstanding. Uh Look at it. I've been really enjoying some of the stuff you've done recently and I wanted to catch up because I loved the uh, the Cashman piece and the piece on the commissioner, and I also enjoyed uh, the tennis stuff. You know, SI is really good when when a te- the, for the U.S. Open especially, and all year really for tennis. But when it's right there and oh. you're you're doing stuff, and Wertheim is doing stuff, and even Deitch was doing stuff from there. I really enjoyed it, and I wanted to ask you. Um, when the tournament finished, did you sit yeah. there and say, I did this. When the tournament finished, and I was watching uh, Djokovic get his trophy, I was thinking, did he have a better year than Serena did? Because I never even considered that possibility going He into absolutely the did. Yeah, he yeah. did, didn't he?
4: Yeah, I mean, he, you know, Serena, I mean, in the sense of Serena won three slams and got to the semifinals of the fourth, and he... Won three slams and got to the final. So, look if we if we regard, and we all do whether we want to admit it or not, uh, you know, performance of the slams are the as the sort of ultimate sort of expression of, of a great tennis year, or, 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 or basically a measure of a tennis year. Uh, then Djokovic absolutely has has had a better year than Serena. I mean, uh, you know that that that's all there is to it. I mean, now she, you know, he he had sort of the Pressure alleviating, in a sense, uh, you know, loss uh, of you know, he he didn't come into the open with a right. grand slam on his shoulders. He lost in the French, so as a result, he, you know, he didn't have the pressure she had of just an entire year's momentum at her back, both powering her and and impeding her. And so, the set of pressures was a lot different. In fact, I, I, I mean, completely different. But in the end. If you just take the measure of the year, um, you got to give it to Djokovic, and that that doesn't mean she hasn't had a, hasn't had an insanely good year. It's just it's just if you take it by that, and and also uh, you know you've got to take into account the, the competition level. Uh, you know, Djokovic is clearly messing with with a field that's uh, you know got some historically significant players to say the least, and um, and Serena is not, at least for the moment. And that's not her fault, but that's the
1: way it is. You know, going into the tournament, I was thinking a lot about the SI Sports Person of the Year Award. And I know that uh, Richard Deitch has said quite a bit that Serena was his choice regardless of what happened. I had him on, or just talked to him on Friday. and forgot to ask him about this. But right. I know for me, it was kind of like, I really feel like the horse should win it just because I assume he's eligible. <laughs> Uh, I just felt like that... not a not a very good interview though. No, not he. He's not going to translate. And, well. and and by the way,
4: and by the way, let, let's 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 just put one other element into this. The horse couldn't give a, a rat's ass <laughs> if he won Sportsman or not. No, <laughs> and, and and nor does the horse feel pressure. I honestly believe that the horse is out running. You know, he doesn't know about hype and human pressure and everything else. So again, I'm not taking anything away from the achievement. But uh, I don't know <laughs> right. maybe, maybe maybe he gets the barnyard you know award because all the animals talk about him, <laughs> but you know, the horse just couldn't care less if he gets sportsman or not, and doesn't understand what the hell all the uh, uh, all
1: the excitement's about. I, I know mean, it's, you I, know yeah, I know it's a little silly, and I also... it's not silly, it's not silly because I uh, believe me, I mean, it, it comes up all the time I, it,
4: the horse has done something extraordinary but um you know i <laughs> i find it hard to find it hard to get there uh that, that's just me and of course i'm, I'm biased because i'm a tennis you know i i love tennis and even if i say that you know joe Rick technically has had a better year than serena uh i would argue that serena's had a more significant year um uh for, for a number of different reasons but but anyway that's you know we can argue this and and will till the cows come home and, and 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 the cows will be talking of course about the horse
1: <laughs> well there's really how do you like that how do you like that for a transition that was wonderful it's really down. Yeah. It's, i mean as of right now i'd assume that there's four really viable candidates the horse mm-hmm. Spieth. and what, what the, was the second one sorry uh jordan Spieth. yep and the two tennis players uh
4: well no, i i, I won't say that Spieth only one only one two slams right
1: Right, I mean, he he won two slams. His total was eight for the year. No, a, I know. A one, let's, a let's one, a two, let's and a four. No,
4: nobody, Nobody who's not a golf fan, just like nobody who's not a tennis fan, cares about anything but the slams. Right. So so I, I would say that, I mean, again, this is me, okay? As yeah. Opposed no, to, yeah. You
1: know, the people so I'm, I'm asking not making the you. decision. I'm asking
4: you. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's me. I, I, I say that three trumps two just because we're a numbers-based society and it's all about wins and so on and so forth. And you also don't, you know, I, I think you have to think about the women's soccer team also.
1: That's a very good point. That's a very, very good point. They're absolutely... So, on the other hand, I would argue, yeah.
4: I would argue that women's soccer came and went. Like, it, it, it happened, it was fun, it was great, people were excited about it, and wow, was it forgotten quickly. And that that's me. Uh, maybe maybe there's an entire reservoir out there that, that of people who... who that does resonate as the number one sports event of the year. I, I would in, in many ways I would I would argue the opposite. I think it, I think its ripple effects are not going to be as trans you know transforming as the you know as the brandy Chastain moment, you know, for example. Right. I, I, I don't think it's as big a bigger moment for that, but that's me. so
1: Well, it sounds like to me then you're going serena still. Oh, I, yeah, absolutely, yeah. but, but you know, I'm not to be trusted. What I mean
4: is I'm a tennis person, and, you know, I, look, I wrote the Dwayne Wade sportsman story, which has been reviled by people. I mean, not the story itself, but but the choice. I didn't make the choice, and I didn't even have to justify the choice, and I adore that story. I mean, I, 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 I loved doing that story, but everybody believes Federer should have won it that year, you know, and, and I'm one of them. You know, I mean, I I was happy to do the Wade story, and I was convinced he had a significant year, and a case could be made because he had such a great playoffs and everything else. But uh, you know, as a tennis person, even I thought Federer should have won it that year.
1: So that's really interesting because I always assumed whoever wrote the story was the one who nominated the person. That's not the case, huh? No,
4: but don't but don't get me wrong. I don't think he didn't deserve it. I just think, like, I think I I had no problem with choice. I just think Federer deserved it well, You know what I mean? I, I don't think Dwayne Wade didn't deserve it. I think he had uh, it's sort of like he had bumgarner type performance, and Bumgardner won it last year, and nobody seemed to have a problem with that. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. like, uh, so Bumgarner won it with a spectacular performance in the postseason, essentially, and that's why Dwayne Wade won it. So, and nobody, nobody's you know, was weeping and gnashing about Bumgarner, and rightfully so. So I think Dwayne Wade was a perfectly legit pick, far more than people gave him credit for. But because I sort of dwell in the in the knighted the bailiwick of tennis, which sort of doesn't really get quite the due it deserves, I feel, uh, in terms of coverage or whatever, um, you know, I'm, 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 I am I'm lean toward Federer, you know, you could have given it to Federer three different times and been right.
1: Right, and he hasn't won it. I'm, I just looked real quick. No. I, don't, I don't think he's won no, it. No, he has so, not won yeah. it. No, he's not one.
4: I'm no, to... i
1: I could. You didn't need to look it up. I could have told you. <laughs> right. I was. Um. I was curious. One. I wanted to see if the '99 women's soccer team won, and they did. And I mm-hmm. was also curious. When was the last time a tennis player won? And I believe, yeah, 1982, for Arthur Ashe. 82? I yeah. think it was 92. Uh, oh yes, 92. Of course. Yes. Yeah. I uh, have bad eyes, apparently. No, yes. no, it's
4: okay. He it's, won in it, between it was, Jordan... It was, it was sort of a career, it was sort of a career, you know, career award. And by the way, and by the way, I think you could give it to Federer any year. Right. Uh, you know, and and even this, you know, I mean, obviously there are other tennis players I think you should get it this year. But, it, I mean, you can make a case for Federer as a career award any time. The way he's handled himself, the way he does handle himself. And... The devotion of his fans, and, and make a case for him to be sportsman of the year. I, I, w- I would argue that at least in the sort of basic definition of sportsman, you'd be hard hard put to find somebody who who more fits the bill. This guy has accepted not winning and keeps coming back to the game just because he loves it. Um, yeah, you know, but I, I, again, we're you're, you're talking to a a tennisophile, so uh, you know it's it's um, I'm, I'm not again I'm not to be trusted.
1: Derek Jeter won in 2009. I kind of thought that Mariano Rivera should have won in 2012. I don't think Brian Cashman is going to win this year. Uh, but I
4: don't, I, I, Yeah, I don't think he's going to win.
1: No, but you did uh, write one of my favorite magazine pieces of the year on Cashman, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit about it. Um, I'm always really curious about Cashman because you always feel like he's kind of the guy that gets thrown out to the wolves, sort of. But uh-huh. you never really feel like he had the final say. It's not quite that way as much anymore. But certainly when George Steinbrenner was around, and um, and, and and your instinct is correct, yeah. early on that is correct. He did, he he he
4: did not have full control uh, of the situation, or as much as a GM has. I mean, you know, and and by the way. Very few GMs, um, including Gene Michael, uh, except when uh, Steinbrenner was banned from the game, uh, had control over the Yankees and, 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 and have as much control over the teams as we like to think they do. What I mean to say is, you know, ownership, you know, they still have to go to ownership and say, you know, for a big signing. I mean, it's not like they, you know, even Theo, you know, I mean, you know, even Fabian. Um, there are other factors. Now, some some GMs have a have a freer and stronger hand than others, but there are other factors involved. It's just that in New York, especially under Steinbrenner, all those factors were exaggerated to a dramatic and sometimes an insane uh, degree under Steinbrenner.
1: Right, and, and I remember a few specific moves, maybe the Randy Johnson one, um... Uh, that kind of sticks out, and and one I think I've heard in the past that maybe uh, the first
4: one... Randy Johnson move or the second one
1: because he because he right, I think... he stood in the way at
4: the first one and ended yeah, up that... being right and and, and, and right. he and he withstood pressure from Steinbrenner and everybody else to get Randy Johnson and 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 not only to get Randy Johnson but then B to make sure Cleveland didn't get Randy Johnson and you know so he was. He sort of was like the hero of the moment when he stood his ground, and and actually, they, you know, Cleveland didn't get him, and so, so, so yeah. But I mean, but go ahead.
1: Sorry. No, I, I was just saying. I think it all makes him very interesting in the sense that, you know, he's always got to be the face of all the moves. You never really know, and like I said, especially in the um, in the the George Steinbrenner era, you ever never really knew if he believed what he said or if he was out there saying the company line. And well, here's the thing, here's the thing, Stephen. i I, I got to tell you, my animating principle, I mean, I've, I've been intrigued by Cashman for a couple of years, I mean, as
4: a story subject. And and part of it is, I, and again, this isn't, a, this, this isn't a diss in any way on the New York media, um, because they're day in and day out. They cover the Yankees, you know, nonstop. And not only do they cover the Yankees, they cover what people care about, you know, most of all, which are the players. And the weird thing about Cashman is, in his first of all, he sort of was considered early on, I think sort of a tool in the sense of, you know, uh, he, you know he, he inherited this incredible dynasty, you know, right in the midst of it, um, and they won three titles. So nobody sort of gave him his props and, and, and I will tell you that in some ways, you know early on, You know, Steinbrenner didn't give him enough responsibility, you know, didn't give him as much responsibility as other GMs might have or or was interfering or so on and so forth. So, so, so people kind of like, you know, I I think writers sort of didn't really find him that as intriguing as he might be because he wasn't Theo in Boston. He he clearly was under the thumb. But then he, then he, and then they, they win, you know, their last title, um, you know, in 09, yeah, and that and that and that was seen as well. They spent four hundred million dollars. Of course, they're going to win. They're the Yankees, and so y- you know he's he's never quite gotten it through. And the other thing is, it's impossible to say uh, exactly. You know, for the most part, for people, um, it, it, it's hard to see what he did and what Steinbrenner did. And, you know, he he obviously came out. Uh, Soriano just, you know, a couple years ago, and so you know, I was against this deal, you know, and, and he signed Soriano. I mean, it's it, 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 so because of the yankiness of the story and, and of the front office and of the, the rivalry between Tampa and New York and the, the scouting department and the GM and the front office, all that stuff has so obscured what he does well that that it's a story that, well, there's, there's, there's got to be something else better to write about or more interesting people to write about because I got to tell you that the thing that struck me in doing my research is just how little had been written about him.
0: Mm-hmm.
4: And, uh, you know, New York magazine did a superb piece on, him, um, uh, at one point, but, but over, uh, other than that, it just I, I mean, here was a guy who's, you know, essentially the second longest tenured GM in Yankee history. And I thought, man, I, I don't even know anything about this guy. And if nothing else, there's gotta be a ton of great stories because it's New York, and the Bronx and, and everything else. So, um, that's, that's where I came from with like, it. It's just, I mean, I, 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 just couldn't believe that as sort of a, the, face of, of the, of the biggest sports franchise arguably in the world, um, and the most sort of consistent piece in the last 17, 18 years, um, we, we knew so little
1: about him. Yeah. And you mentioned in the so piece, you mentioned in the piece too, how he's, uh, you know, as a, the team, well, he's been there five ninety four winning percentage, four World Series championships, six pennants, yeah. eighteen years, and he does come off sort of as underrated in some way because he's never really the story of the team. I mean, I'm sure right. I'm sure if under the Cubs or uh, as a member of the GM of the Cubs, or whatever his exact title is, if if they pull right. that off in the next eighteen years, I mean, Theo's gonna be a god there.
4: Absolutely. Yeah. And he was brought in to be a god because he he made himself a god in in Boston, and and so there's that there's definitely it's a very strange situation. And and as a writer, strange situations are fun to write about. Like you know I, I in some ways I'd rather write about, not in some ways in many ways I'd rather write about Cashman than ACO. You know I mean Theo's fascinating. I'd love to write about, but, you, but you know what I'm saying. I mean right. that dynamic is so bizarre. And his survival is so unlikely; his ascension and survival is so unlikely uh, that, uh, to me, it was irresistible. The story. And and then you have the fact that here's a guy who's this little guy, you know, who supposedly, if you look at him, he's Nebuchadnezzar, George Costanza, all that stuff, which is all untrue once you scratch the surface for about thirty seconds. Right. But meanwhile, there's nothing else like him or hate him, he's not afraid of anybody. <laughs> you know, he'll, he'll he'll mouth off and talk, you know, way about Yankee legends and Yankee, you know, and he's just not intimidated by the position and by New York. And that's fascinating.
1: Yeah, and it's funny because you do kind of talk about about his brashness and, and you kind of uh, sort of cleverly craft the piece around uh, the F-word and, and the line um, uh, the a, that he said about A-Rod. Uh, he said, yeah. Well, yeah. And um, it kind of goes on for that. You know, something I was really curious about uh, is when you write a piece about, when you get ready and you're doing your research and you're writing a piece about Brian Cashman, and one of your colleagues um, has written a book like Verducci has, The the Yankee Years, which is, of course, about Torrey. Yep. Do you, do you say, you know, I should do you, is it, do you talk to him? Do you say like, "Hey, I'm doing this." I did I did talk to Tom. Yeah, that's really interesting to me. Can you talk to Absolutely. me a little bit about that? Sure.
4: Yeah, we we we, we talked for a while about him. He was, he was incredibly helpful. Tom's a, a very generous guy. And uh, um I mean, the book is, you know, it's great. Insanely insanely yeah. good, you know. Yeah. And so, you know, I mean, I'm I'm not, I'm not really treading on his turf um uh, but, yeah, I try to talk to everybody. And, and anybody, everybody knows more than me, certainly when I start out. There's no question. And and nobody knows more than Tom Berducci. So, so yeah. mean uh, yeah, he was, like I said, incredibly generous.
1: Do you think that's a special part of SI? You know, as opposed to maybe someone who's on freelance. Like, being at SI, you have this wealth of talent around you. And whether it's a Cashman story or, you know, maybe... Next month, you're writing a story about Drew Brees or something. It's like, oh, Tom Lee. Well, you know, I mean, sports, absolutely. You know, and uh, I
4: yeah. often Peter King the same way. I mean, I, I'm, see, see, I'm at a distinct disadvantage. I'm a parachute guy. I, I drop into these situations, and, and I have to become an expert quickly. And, you know, the, the, you, you know, the best thing you do in those situations is cheat. <laughs> I mean, and what I mean by that is, you know, you talk to everybody as much as possible, and you talk to the expert. And piggyback on them, and I, I've, you know, both Tom and Peter King are insanely busy people, um, doing a lot of things well, <laughs> and uh, they really don't have time to 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 carry to carry me, you know. They got enough on their shoulders, but they both have made uh, uh, an astonishing, uh, uh, repeatedly and astonishingly, made space and time for me uh, when I come begging for for their help.
1: So, for example, when you parachuted in on the commissioner and wrote that piece, did you consult yep. with King or whatever football writer on that yeah well? yeah
4: yeah I did I mean that's certainly not you know in my conclusions or, or anything else those are mine but but in terms of you know what do you think hey you know, you, you know is there a roadmap here just you know I mean I'd be stupid not to tap that i mean i'd be I'd be a fool because these these people are in the in the trench every day and and you know. Peter King sort of, you know brushes brushes off lint of lint that, that would be gold to me, you know, in terms of information. The guy is so loaded and knows so much about the league. So, you know, I yeah, absolutely. And and it is the great thing about SI. You can do that in any sport. Um and and you know, it's kind of pathetic because um, you know, <laughs> I've gotta go there hat in hand. I have a hat. I have a hat that I that I but I take uh, use specifically for that purpose to put in my hand as I go up to them and <laughs> and and beg and beg for scraps. I don't I don't wear it. I don't use it
1: for anything else. I just take the hat for when I go begging. Right, my begging hat. Nice. Yeah. The sportscaster here with SSL Price at by Price on Twitter, talking to him about uh, some of his recent work. Uh, I don't mean to rush off a of Cashman so quick, but I do want to talk to you a little bit about Goodell um, and the piece that you wrote there. Now I will admit to you as a lifelong fan of the New Orleans Saints and um and also as a Western New York uh born and, and 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 uh raised and living human being when I found out that Roger Goodell was going to be the commissioner of the league, I was ecstatic that a guy from where I came from, roughly, uh had mm-hmm. had ascended to that position. And then the Saints and, and, and Bounty Gate was kind of my first uh was the point where we, we I went the other way on that. Um and I'll admit that of course I had a a very much a vested interest in that. And of course since then uh my I've always looked at everything he's done through those goggles. Right. Um and I admit that and have many times on this show, but I just I just think he's, he's the worst commissioner of any league that I've followed since I've followed sports. And I just, I just I just think that they need to move on from the guy. They probably won't, and I know he makes the league a ton of money. And I'm sure there's things he's very, very good at. What he's not good at is this part, uh, the discipline part, and, um, and sort of pushing off uh, some of those responsibilities when it seems appropriate. Uh, the appeals. And you wrote about this quite a bit. Tell me about Goodell and kind of uh, where you stand in him and what you would say to someone like me uh, who came with that, that argument. Well, I, I will tell you that
4: the least interesting part of this story to me is whether or not Goodell should, should be in this job. Right. Like, you know, the fact is, it's like, he, he's a very, I think he's a, I mean, I just, you know, should he, is he safe? Is he not safe? Should he go? Shouldn't he go? I mean, I think it's all fairly self-evident, and, you know, however you stand on it, you know, I'm, I'm not going to argue the point. You know, it's like it's just, it's, but I, I mean, I think he's a very good politician on a micro level and and a horrible politician on a macro level. I think he's very good at, at his constituency of, of cultivating and and... and And uh, manipulating uh, uh, the thirty-two owners that are the most important people deciding whether he has a job or not.
1: Right, his boss. In terms of,
4: right, in terms of, in terms of his macro, you know, getting his message out and being sort of a moral force. Which, which, I mean, in a sense, that's what a commissioner was. the commissionership in America, and I mean this as you know the broadest base, meaning all the sports or whatever the idea of a commissioner sports commissioner, whether we whether it was really written down as such, became sort of this weird secular pope and and essentially was somebody who wasn't just you know deciding on balls and strikes, but really was was, was for good or for ill, somebody who was seen as somewhat of a moral arbiter. Um, and, and if somebody, you know, in a, in a society that looks upon sports as, well, it's a metaphor for life and, and this is, uh, you know, sports tells us more about ourselves than almost anything else. You know, that if you buy into those conceits, sports is a microcosm of America, then then the commissioners were this, you know, uh, as conceived and, and really um, as sort of formulated by Kennesaw Mountain Landis, uh, were essentially uh, this sort of weird moral force in the culture. Um, and again, you know, people didn't like them and so on and so forth, but, but they, they seem to stand for something more than just, you know, hey, we've got to make money. Well, Goodell, and I would argue that it started with Bud Seelig more than anybody else, has sort of abdicated that role. They're, they're clearly there to make money, and that's what it's about. Mm-hmm. And and so in when he comes to the fore and tries to, and he does it very poorly and tries only half-heartedly, to say why it's important that he makes these disciplinary decisions, he almost always falls apart. You know, it's it's it's, it's a terrible look. And, you know, Ray Rice was horrible, double, je- double jeopardy. You know, some people would argue that that, that the fleet gate was double jeopardy for... for for a spy gate essentially. Um, so the discipline has been very sloppy and, and, and rightly reversed or, or, or reduced. Um, so it's been slapped it over and over and of course, every time you get slapped, I mean they don't understand this really, but, but it does it does each time that slap comes down and you're reduced, each time you show yourself to be either woolly headed, in the sense of, you know, uh, thinking, fuzzy thinking, and, you know, basically, sw- either sloppily putting out decisions, it undermines the authority, if not the power of the commissioner, the authority in the in the public mind. And so every time he's been slapped back, he, he doesn't realize this, but his power's been chipped away, at least in the public mind. At the same time, I think he's pretty solid. Uh, as a as an employee of the National Football League and of the Honors. Um, I mean I will say this. I, I do think the idea the, the easy play on Goodell is to say, oh he's just an egomaniac run wild. He just wants power. And I've seen that eloquently said over and over. Um, and, and argued really persuasively, but I don't think it's true. I think he's I think he's I think he truly does believe in the integrity of the game. I think he really believes that his job is to safeguard it. The problem is in the execution and, and, and the wielding of the power that he has so sloppily so that it, first of all, puts up you know, terrible decisions that are reversed and therefore undermine the very power that is supposed to incur those decisions. And, so, um, and I think he's getting uh, some bad advice from from his legal minds around him because he himself is not a lawyer, and I think it's shown when the decisions are reversed.
1: Right. So and, and a lot has been made about him being the only commissioner in the four major sports, I guess, that isn't a lawyer right now. But you know, I always think about Jonathan Vilma, and um, and Jonathan Vilma is a pretty seems like a pretty smart and um, and uh, he he expresses himself pretty well, and he. Always talks about when he sat down face to face with the commissioner. Uh, the commissioner was talking about how he knew that the Saints had had a bounty on Warner in the division round and Favre in the in the um, championship game, but not Manning in the Super Bowl. And Vilma would ask him, "Why wouldn't if we were doing this? Why wouldn't we do it for the Super Bowl? Why did we stop?" you don't think we wanted to hit Peyton Manning. You don't think that getting Peyton Manning off his spot or, or giving the uh, right. the remember me shots what was important to us. And that, you know, they he just never had an answer for that. They just agreed mm-hmm. to disagree. And Vilma thought very strongly that at the expense of his and others with the Saints and Saints players' mm-hmm. reputation, he felt it was okay to take the... To make the measures as, and it seems very transparent as a way to show that the league was on the right side of player safety, um, and use that as a powerful piece in their litigation with concussions or whatever else. Well, look, I think I think also
4: when it comes to Brady, I mean someone put it to me in the league, you know, would you know, would you. <laughs> Would really? Would you? Would, do you think that they would go after their biggest star ticket as a way to sort of, coming out of Ray Rice, coming out of this horrible year, party, everything? You know, Adrian Peterson. You know, if they were all about the money, which 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 I would argue they are all about the money. But I but I I understand it because I, I mean I think they are about the money. But I think this subset is true why would they possibly go after Tom Brady? Now they're, you know, and, and so what I'm saying is one thing is they absolutely wanted to send a message. No player, no name, no superstar is bigger than the game. The game is the star, not the player. The shield is the star, not the players. It's not the NBA. So that was, that's message one. And, um, it remains message one. And, I, and, I, and so what I'm saying is they care less about the reputation of the man or the player than they do the reputation of the league. Right. I think there's no question about that.
1: And that's a really interesting catch-22 because maybe if they put a little bit more, had a little bit more regard for the reputations of the men, the men would be more inclined to protect the shield. Or maybe it doesn't work that way. It might be true, but I mean, the point is, they really think that
4: the the league really thinks Brady cheated. I mean, I I, I don't think it was... Now, I guess what I'm saying is, I do think it... I mean, this is me extrapolating. I do think it was a career award, a career punishment. I think they felt like the, the Patriots had been cheating, had been put on notice prior for Spygate, and they just decided to bring the hammer down. I think if this were the only time this happened, I could easily see the fine coming down or even a wink and a nudge phone call. Hey, guys, we're watching you. You've got to stop it. And or we're now going to change our protocol when it comes to football and take control of it and not leave it in the team's hands. I mean, I, I, I think all of that would have happened if not, the cont- if not for the context of Spygate. And, you know, that's obviously been even more... Clearly expressed. I think that context, with the reporting of Seth Wickersham and Don Van Atta on on in the, the ESPN, right? Um, so, uh, but it's um, it's uh, it's that, that's what you know that they 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 believe. That, I mean, that, I don't think this was a false. On the other hand, I do think on a political level, it was. It's a great way to show. Hey, you were a little other owners. You're upset because you think that. I've been giving my buddy Kraft. Robert Kraft a pass right. here. Right. I'm going to come down on these guys to shore up my political support with the other owners. You know, and by the way, you know, there's this other th- other thing that is said, but it, it shouldn't be discounted. It's, said, it's been said a lot, and certainly by other people smarter and more plugged in than me, but I, I, I've i also heard it. The owners love that Roger takes all this heat. Oh, yeah. the shot, the right. shot, he loves that Roger took the heat for Ray Rice, and he didn't.
1: He's like the cashman. You know, I, He's like the cashier yeah, in this story, yeah. He is, yeah. And so get and out so, there and take the heat.
4: This this entire where we're sitting around saying, "Oh my God, what a just you know this is disgraceful." Rogers on the bubble, he's going to lose his job. This is part of the job. Now, I don't think the, the the nobody liked the length of time that the that the Brady decision went, you know, on and on and on. But they do like that they went the owners do like that. He went after Brady and and the Patriots. And they love that he's the guy taking the heat. And by the way, they also love that we're not talking about concussions.
0: Yeah.
4: <laughs> and, you know, that we're not talking about long-term health issues, that the entire offseason has been consumed by in a football. Right. I mean, I, I, you know, they don't like it that it's not a good look, but if, it's, if there's going to be a bad look, this is, this is as, as good as a bad look as the league can have. And then Ryaners taking all the heat, and meanwhile... The owners are sort of, you know, I mean, who looks good to his owner? Who looks good? Who looks good right now to his fan base? Robert Kraft.
1: I mean, right. you know, he's out there on they, they Thursday with the they trophy. Yeah,
4: he, 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 he went up against the commissioner. I mean, I mean, I don't think it was designed this way, but I don't think Kraft. You know, <laughs> I think I think overall, in a macro strategic sense, Roger Goodell taking the heat for Robert Kraft. Uh, even now, he's the one who's despised, and Robert Kraft's a hero to his to his constituency. So Roger, Roger in a sense, is doing the job. He's the heat shield,
1: right? And it's pretty interesting too, because you know the Patriots are considered a pretty cutthroat organization, and the guy at the top of that, he's out there on opening night, walking out with the fourth trophy. You know, uh, giving taps with the the other three legends, and and getting cheered like a folk hero. Last thing on this, and then I'll say goodbye and let you go because I'm sure you have other things today. And I just noticed we've already went really long. Felt like five minutes, though. Um, did you think that when they got to pick their courtroom and they went there and the judge was kind of beating them around quite a bit during the during the yeah. proceedings and he kept saying, you know, just resolve this. Get to a compromise settlement. Yeah. Settlement. yeah. And Goodell, the report that I've heard, um, I think it was uh, Yahoo, Dan Wetzel, maybe, maybe that's wrong. Someone reported. You know, the only thing they offered was three games plus, essentially, right. Brady admitting, you know, uh, agreeing to, yes. to perjure himself and say I was lying and I did it. Right? Do you think is that where where the arrogance reputation really comes off? That like he's just so. He's so in need of—is that where he gets the power rap? Because, like, even when it's so obvious they're getting their their ass kicked, and he just won't even back down. Well, at let me that just tell you point. something.
4: See, I don't think they thought they were getting their ass. They
1: kicked. They didn't. That's amazing. I, see,
4: what, see, what they thought was was that they thought that the judge, because it, because these decisions are so rare, because collectively bargained decisions by an arbitrator on appeal. Are so rarely overturned. They thought the judge was criticizing the NFL so harshly to push them toward a settlement because he didn't want to make a decision that would be overturned. And they thought, this is the NFL thought that they that that they were giving that the that the league was uh, the uh, Judge Berman was giving Brady false hope. And by the way, they still think it's going to be overturned on on appeal. So. They're, it's not over. Right. They, they don't think it's over. It'll they think over. Roger is going to be proven <laughs> correct. And 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 by the way, they they're convinced. And and here's the difference between Ray Rice and Brady. Ray Rice is domestic violence. It's a societal issue. It's not even clear if a commissioner should be ruling on a societal issue, especially you know, because Twitter and social media has pushed the pace of a decision by a commissioner. Far faster than that of jurisprudence, meaning you know you've got to make a decision about someone whether he's guilty or not, at least in the eyes of the league and how he reflects upon the league well before he's decided innocent or guilty by a court of, of law right so so i mean it is this it is this insane sort of pace that has pushed things um, to a radical degree, but you know they they feel like um that, that, that this is his job. I mean, and, and Roger feels like this. Unlike domestic violence, this is the field of play. This is competitive advantage. This is Roger's wheelhouse, you know. You know what I'm saying? I mean, in the sense of,
1: I do. Country, yep. like, mm-hmm. where,
4: where it's unclear on domestic violence, even though we all know where we stand on domestic violence and, and, and maybe what, what the policy should be. The commissioner, we, we all know that the commissioner should rule on matters of integrity within within the, the, his respected game. And so I'm telling you that he and people in the league are firmly convinced the Patriots cheated and must be punished for it, else the integrity of the game is called into question, and then you've got real problems, you know, as a commissioner. If That's your right. game's yep. integrity is suddenly called the question if people believe or are led to believe that maybe what's happening on the field isn't a fair field of play. So that's why they're going to the wall on this which seems absurd because it's air, I understand but it's it's where they're at and it's where they live and 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 that's why we're stuck with this it seemingly for a couple more years until the appeal is heard. You know, whatever however long that's going to go.
1: Well, S.L. Price's piece on Roger Goodell and the one we talked about on Brian Cashman, uh, can be found in the pages of sports illustrated and on SI.com, uh, as well on SI.com real easily by searching SL price, uh, Dwayne Wade sportsman of the year. You can find that piece as well. I found it in a second while we were talking, uh, and I'm going to reread that later. You can also find him on Twitter. Uh, mostly thanks to me at by SL price. Um, and uh, thank you so much for the time. I was joking about it being because of me you're on Twitter. I know that gets you mad. Uh, I was just joking and <laughs> joking about that. You're enjoying it though, right? You're glad to be there. To be on Twitter? Yes, you're glad. You're enjoying it. Glad? Yeah. Enjoying? Yeah.
4: I, I would say that's an overstatement.
1: <laughs> but you have to I mean, lo- you have to love when a piece like the Cashman piece. When everyone just loves it, and everyone's tweeting about it and talking about it, how great it is! That's gotta you gotta like that, right?
4: I mean, there's no question that now when I write a piece, on, when a piece is online as opposed to the magazine, I get far more response to it.
1: Right, it's but, easier to link and stuff. Yeah,
4: yeah. I mean, look, every, look.
1: I, I mean, nobody who's human doesn't
4: like it when someone likes what they do, especially if they care about what they do. I mean, that, that's all very nice, but. Um, you know, it's uh, it's, uh, and it's and it's nice to get, nice is the wrong word, I hate the word nice. It's good to get feedback. But, um, yeah, the more I've been on Twitter, I, I wouldn't tell you that. I, I think it's a, a great boon to society. I think it's a great, I think it's a place that, is, and as a, my friend Don Van Natta has said, it's a replacement for the newsroom. It's a place where where uh, media especially love to go and and talk to each other um, and and you know praise each other and everything else and and you know i I, I guess there's a place for that, but um, you know I, I I just think it takes a lot of time out of your out of your, out of your work to tell you the truth.
1: well, thank you so much for all the time today out of your work. that's probably more than no, thank behind. you I appreciate that. Anything else you want to mention uh, about anything uh, in terms of plugs or anything I didn't?
4: Uh, no, I think we're good. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you. It was great as always. We'll uh, talk soon, hopefully.
4: Great. Thank you. i got to catch up with Lee Jenkins.
1: <laughs> Sounds good. All right. Bye. See you soon. All right, I want to thank our guests, good ones, Richard Deitch and S.L. Price, for being on the podcast today. I want to thank all our guests, including last week's guests, Ty Shelter and Dan Wilkin. You can find their appearance and the past appearances of Deitch And price on our website, www.sports casters.com. Maybe skip the first time Deitch was on the show. (laughs) Because I went back and listened to some of it, and it is the shits drizzly shits. It's terrible. Bad. Yeah. Uh, www.sports casters.com. Our shows are there, as well as iTunes and Stitcher. And also. We've been talking and bragging about how we think our podcast is everywhere you wanted to listen. I heard, I heard someone on another podcast saying someone wanted to listen to it on TuneIn.
2: Wanted to listen they, to our podcast?
1: Not ours. The other one. You oh, know, I okay, heard someone it. talking on another podcast. About their podcast. I think it was the Jim Florentine podcast. Gotcha. He was talking about someone having to listen on TuneIn, and he didn't know that TuneIn was more than radio and that you could put podcasts on, but you got to do it separately. If there's someone out there that wants this on TuneIn, maybe it's something I should look into. Let me know. Have you tried it? Do you know that it's I not? didn't. No, I don't know if it is or isn't. Okay. Because so. I think
2: everything other than iTunes is pretty a standard RSS feed. That's, But, I mean, if there's something we got to do, let me know. Um,
1: also, you can find us on Twitter at Sports underscore Casters, at uh, Sports, And you can email us to SportsCasters at gmail.com. I
2: realized when we started this segment, I had nothing in mind for uh, one last thing. Well, so, I will go first then, and you
1: uh, can... I kind of have an idea, oh, to throw right. away yeah. a little bit. But
2: yeah. uh, uh, I love stand-up comedy, and I oh, listened yeah. to uh, the Nerdist podcast recently with Brian Regan, and he might not be a household name, but he's like a name in comedy circles. He's a guy that works clean, uh, he's goofy, he's animated, but his stuff is really smart and really quotable and good. And the podcast was awesome, and he's always touring. So uh, I guess it's a PSA. If Brian Regan's coming near you. Go check him out.
1: I think he was just on the Kumia show yesterday.
2: Yeah, he has been on there before, which is a weird dynamic. Because and he was really good. He's clean and silly, and they're kind of hardcore. But he was like really ONA.
1: he was really funny on there. Yes, it was Brian Regan. But
2: yeah, uh, the Nerdist podcast recently had him on, and they just kind of talk shop about comedy and stuff. And I mean, that's not my world, obviously, but it's it was really cool to hear like his process and what goes into it. So uh, if Brian Regan's coming to your town, check him out, get his CDs. Uh, thus ends the Brian Regan commercial.
1: Someone asked me who my top three stand-ups that were working right now were. Okay. okay. And I said Jim Florentine. Jim Norton, and Artie Lang. Okay. Do you know what all three of those guys have in common?
2: They're all New York guys?
1: New Jersey, actually. Oh, yeah. New Jersey. Okay. All from New Jersey. So I just thought that was ironic.
2: Yeah, I really like uh, – the guy that blew me away was uh, – and I mean, it's, this is kind of a bandwagon thing, but I didn't know it at the time, but uh, Jared Carmichael, if you've seen his HBO special, it's awesome, and I had never heard of him before. But it's really, really funny, and I mean, that guy blew up. He's got a sitcom already. I don't know if it got picked up or whatever, but uh, he's really good. Brian Regan's my other guy, and I don't know who my third would be. I saw uh, – what's his name in person? He's an O&A guy. Attal? No, he's an O&A guy. He was on like a regular – Bill reg- Burr? Uh, Bob Kelly. Kelly. Oh, Bill Burr would probably be my second. He, he's awesome. His stuff is great too. He does awesome appearances on Conan O'Brien. So I guess those would probably be my three. Regan – Maybe Carmichael based on that one special and Bill Burr.
1: Best comedian on Twitter, hands down, Colin I Unbelievable on Twitter. I
2: I had to unfollow him because I get so annoyed at the people he retweets because I I don't know how they don't get it. The whole thing is work (laughs) and nobody does get it. Nobody gets it and he retweets these people all the time and it makes me feel like the whole world is stupid. So I had to unfollow him.
1: All right, one last thing for the show today. So CBS's uh, summer hit Big Brother is almost over. It actually ends on Wednesday.
2: Is that your statement summer hit, or is it actually a summer hit? It's a hit for them, yeah. It's been going on forever. It's done 17 seasons for a reason, right? Wow, yeah.
1: Um, And the winner just might be a Fredonia State student. Oh, he's still in it. Cool. They're down to three. The Fredonia State student, uh, the top dog of the season, a professional poker player named Vanessa, who sort of dominated the game to a large degree, and... The hanger on, Liz. There's always one player that people never want to eliminate because they always feel like they can beat them. Okay. So they kind of she lived on her weakness. Live on, you know, and that's Liz this year. And on uh, Wednesday, uh, Steve and Vanessa will compete in the last competition of the year, and likely the winner of that will eliminate the other, take Liz to the final two, and win the game.
2: Before before you get to yeah. your point, I don't want to say it after your point because your thing will be more. Uh, profound or whatever but uh i've watched big brother like once or twice i happened to see it this year uh it sounded like the fredonia kid was kind of like a marked man even at that point so for him to be there is kind of he
1: had a real struggle early because the girls thought he was a little creepy He was real socially awkward oh okay uh but he definitely grew up quite a... the show is an unbelievable experience i think for him as a person
2: my the thing i was going to say is someone that doesn't watch it i think that's maybe the hardest Especially for like a game show, a reality show, to explain to someone that doesn't watch it, you like got to say you gotta get in a, at the
1: beginning of the year and it. just ride it out all year. To save Vanessa, can't like come in and out.
2: Dominated the game, like it's just working people, right? And like getting what I like about the idea of it, it is it's the most pure show, and that like it doesn't pretend to be anything else. It's just you have to stay on and not get voted out, right? I mean,
1: yeah, the show is here's These sixteen people, when I put them in this house. We're gonna give him some competitions, and every week we're gonna take one out.
2: It, and the competitions, the, the public
1: is... doesn't have anything to do with it. You know, there's no like fan voting right. to eliminate.
2: But it's all about like they're voted out by other people in the house every week. Right? right? Yeah. Yeah, that's crazy to me. So essentially, it's almost like Mario Kart. Right? The winner
1: <laughs> last year, I think, is one of the greatest players of all time. He was in there the whole time, never once was even nominated. Wow. Never once even needed to save himself. He controlled. The house, his perception, how people perceived him in the house to such an unbelievable degree that he won the money uh, despite not even winning the last competition. He was so good, so much better than him. He didn't, everyone, he didn't win the last competition and the kids still picked him to go to the finals. And it's considered the dumbest move in Big Brother history. So everyone knows if he would have picked the girl, he would have won the game. So it's essentially a $400,000 mistake to take the other guy. But the other guy was so good that going into the last competition, he knew whoever would win would take him, and they did.
2: Yeah, what I was saying about Mario Kart is when you play Mario Kart, if you're in first place for the race, like everything gets rained down on you, like the blue turtle shells and like everything bad. It almost seems like that's kind of the strategy. You want to not look really strong like you have to be strong without looking strong
1: right you can't if you win a lot you're a target they want to take you out for a show i don't second you don't win for a show
2: i don't watch i actually kind of love that like i love board games that kind of have hidden roles and you don't want to kind of appear too strong and so i I think i would i would love that show i don't know why i've never
1: i bet you'd like it as well here's my point about it so we're getting really close to the it's probably about a 50 50 shot that a kid from fredonia wins it okay and I had this thought. Now he's a current student at oh. the school, and the school has absolutely embraced him being in it. He hasn't done anything there and embar- that might embarrass them. He's not in a showman's. He's not having sex on the feeds. <laughs> he hasn't said anything racist. You know, he's been he's played the game very well. He's, he's someone that the school can absolutely be proud of. Worn
2: their sweaters a lot,
1: and he's wears the the shirt and the hat and all the sweatshirt, all that. I thought. You know, if he wins it, they just might have a rally for him at the school. (laughs) And should I go?
2: You are a big fan of the show.
1: I'm a big fan of the show, and I'm a big fan of the school, and they're never going to have a rally for winning anything else. It's not like I went to University of North Carolina, and I'll go back when they win the Final Four, the Frozen Four, Final Four, whatever. Right. You know, it's not like I go to BU, and they might win the Frozen Four this year, and I'll go visit then. Sure. It's not like I go to Rice, and they might win the College World Series this year, and I might go then.
2: Right. Yeah. They might have a good swim team or something, that but they're not, knows no, we'll know. Right.
1: So this is probably it. If you're me and this kid wins big brother and they have a rally for him, should I go in support of him in the university? Wow.
2: My first thought right away was no. Cause like, it's going to be, the rally is going to end and it's going to feel totally empty. I think like, it's going to be like, okay, now what? Like I'm, I'm out here in Fredonia. What do I do now? Uh, Like, is there going to be a meet and greet with the kid? Like, do you care about the kid that much?
1: No. If he wins, I'm going to try and get him on.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I know you're a fan of the school. You followed their hockey a little bit after you were gone. But, uh, hey, man, you're a big fan of Big Brother, so why not? Every time I stare into the sun, trying to find a reason to go.